This episode is supported by Dove. Narrow beauty standards have permeated our feeds, perpetuating beauty ideals that can't be achieved in real life, which impacts girls' self-esteem. To help combat this, the Dove Self-Esteem Project is taking action to support the next generation so they can have a positive experience on social media. Dove is tackling the issue of digital distortion with Reverse Selfie, a film rooted in new research on body confidence from the Dove Self-Esteem Project. They're also providing a new confidence kit so that kids and parents can navigate social media with confidence and have a more positive experience online. So head over to dove.com slash the selfie talk to download the new confidence kit and helpful tips to have the selfie talk today. But Alex... Yeah, Shane. Let's begin this episode. Let's do it. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree podcast, episode 89. 89. 89. I like that number. Why? I was born in 89, babe. Oh. <laughs> and that's Taylor Swift's album, too. It is. It? What's the song from that album? Is that because she's born in 89? Are you trying to goad me into saying the blank space lyrics? Oh, you just learned the proper lyrics, didn't you? Nice Thanks to, to me. meet you. Where you been? been? I was saying, where are you from? Yeah. But what excites me about 89 is it's very close to 100. So close. Oh, my gosh. For some reason, it feels like so much closer than 88. Well, we're in the home stretch now. It's... it. You know, you, like you could taste the episode 100. It's there. It's looming. It's it's very exciting. <laughs> looming does not <laughs> seem positive, but we're going to say this is a positive, great episode, aren't we? Because oh. we would never say if even if we had a bad episode, we would never admit to it. No, but this is a fantastic episode. So the two conversations that we have tonight, I so loved having. The first conversation, we have Elamin Abdel Mahmoud. He is a host of the CBC podcast Party Lines and a Pop Chat, and he's an editor and writer for BuzzFeed. So I found Elamin through an article that he wrote for his daughter two years ago about naming her and the process and, you know, how intricate naming her was and how her name is a burden and a gift. And like it brought tears to my eyes. I loved it so much. And it was such a pleasure to talk to him about parenthood, about being raised as an immigrant, about the importance of your history and kind of bringing that with you as you go on. And he's like, he's just such a pro. Oh, he's the best. And he, he's so smart and he's so kind. And uh, I was not prepared for this interview at all. <laughs> Truth be told, I... I've been overwhelmed, totally overwhelmed, yeah. and you've been handling the brunt of the research and most of the interviews we've been doing the last couple of weeks. In fact, I'd say three out of four, you've done the entire mm -hmm. interview and you've been doing such a great job. And even this interview I sat in for, I had to bail to go help Lucy out, but that's the deal we make. Who's ever more prepared stays and who's ever uh, less leaves or who's ever less comfortable. Well, uh, you weren't in for the second interview and- you know, I, I always love having you in the interviews and I prefer to have you there. However, this one, like, I feel like I became friends with this. I'm now calling her like a nickname and everything too. Her name is Denise Boomkins. I call her D now. And, oh, nice. <laughs> and, uh, did you make that up or did she no, say no, call she, me D? She signed off on like a message after our interview as D instead of Denise, which she was using Ooh. before. And I was like, all right, like we're buddies now. And I like this. And I have so much respect for her. She's a beautiful artist. She is a photographer. And she photographs older women or aging women. Uh, I found her through her account and Bloom. It's on Instagram. And I, I recommend everybody goes to follow it. 
What age are you considered an aging woman? I'm curious. Oh, gosh, I guess we're all aging. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's, that's what I was like. Okay. Well, she's she was a model, and then she was a fashion photographer. So she was photographing like girls in their late teens and then their 20s maybe their early 30s, but now she spends a lot of time photographing women in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, really beautiful stuff. And we just talk about what it is to be an aging woman and everything that comes with us and your place in society and how everything changes. And it's just such a good conversation. We're talking about a part two, actually, her and I. Well, count me out of that one already. <laughs> I'm so thankful. I would have been such a weirdo in that interview. <laughs> like even calling someone an aging woman, I feel like I would have been canceled. No, it'll be good. And uh, for the second one, for the part two, I told her uh, we'll make sure to pour glasses of wine for it. Ooh, but I wow. think there's a time difference, so it's going to be like hammered at like 10 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, uh, Shane, let's do a little toasty. Cheers. Toast. Okay. So tonight, babe, keeping it simple, C-Lip Grow 42 and some Fever Tree Tonic. I won't Winning. lie. I've already been drinking this. Get Normally, out of I here. What? I have. You're supposed to do the first little taste with me. Well, I save it when we're doing a fancy drink. If it's a drink we've had a lot, I figure <laughs> why have the fanfare? It's a delicious, refreshing drink. Everyone knows we love C-Lip. It's our alcohol substitute of choice. And... It's just been great fun with having them as a sponsor. Oh, yeah. It's been the best. And you know what? Now that summer's hitting again, I'm really feeling seed lippy. Oh, yeah. And I agree. Yeah. What, what it's the best at, I find, in the summer, not that we're doing an ad read right now, but it would be the fact that you can drink in the, in the afternoon and not mm. feel dead tired off your ass by the time it's like six and want to go to bed yeah. you know what i mean you know sometimes after, you crack a beer at like noon and then you're just ruined one afternoon drink like a, a low percentage beer will have me exhausted by three and yeah. i'll just feel loopy yeah. it's awful but yeah shall we get into my section let's do it i'm excited for your section tonight well my first topic i actually want to talk about residential schools now <laughs> alex <laughs> is like oh well that's not very fun but I feel like we do need to discuss it. I was listening because I was listening to Alamine on his podcast, Party yeah. Lines, and uh, he has a co-host named Rosemary, and she was suggesting that we can we can be horrified mm -hmm. by learning about the residential schools and the uh, the graveyard that was found with all uh, two hundred and some odd bodies. Yeah, yeah, but we can't be surprised by it. Of course not. I know it's, it's it says of course not, but I was humiliated. To when she said that because I had never heard of this. Of ever. residential schools? Never. But Shane, like, okay, last semester, literally, so the last semester I taught before I went off on mat leave, so last spring, like, I did a whole unit on residential schools in my English class, and I was telling you about it. Here's the problem. I'm like the cliche in one ear, out the other. I have problems retaining information, and I'm so embarrassed and i've come to the conclusion i know nothing mm. about anything it's so hard for me until these big stories hit the news yeah and then i research it and listen to the podcast and i really love the way party lines cover this and i always think of the podcast like party lines for intellectuals or whatever people who mm. are just always learning but for me podcasts like this are what i should be listening to because it was really helping me absorb the information and listening to a podcast mm -hmm. for whatever reason is my favorite way to learn. And I feel like it's more for me than even 
yeah. people like you who teach the stuff, but people like you are the people more likely to listen to a mm-hmm. podcast like Party Lines. You know what yeah, I mean? No, absolutely I do. But so, yeah, anyway, I was wondering when you covered it do, in, in your school when you're teaching the unit, do you go over the fact that the the kids, children were dying? Like, was that a oh, known thing? Absolutely. Well, it's really? known if you study it. Like, there were, you know, thousands and thousands of deaths, uh, many due to starvation. The schools had rampant disease going through them. Like, a lot of kids were dying of tuberculosis. A lot of the residences that they were living in weren't properly heated, insulated. So, they, they just weren't equipped and they were dying. I And then, obviously, you get to the more grim if you can get more grim than that stuff but you know there was sexual abuse there was physical abuse of the children and um like even instances where uh young girls would be raped and then they die in childbirth like it really really horrific stuff and for those of you that don't live in canada and you may not know this i know obviously we have a lot of uh, listeners in australia turks and caicos dubai so they may be surprised to hear of canada's history here it is yeah it's incredibly horrific and of course it's like you know all these talks are going on for reconciliation and everybody wants to say okay well let's support the indigenous peoples of canada yet our indigenous peoples on so many reserves don't even have potable drinking water they still have boiled water advisories and they have for decades and it's just you know it's a wild it's a wild situation and the idea that a lot of Canadians have in their head about what Canada is is just wrong but I don't think and like in your case Shane I don't think that it is like you're gleefully trying to block things out so you could have a good idea of where we live it's just that people don't know because not enough people teach it and I think that many teachers like I didn't learn it in school I learned it in university and through like my mom is a big advocate for indigenous rights so I learned a lot through her but yeah people people need to not be scared and to start teaching it like Mm -hmm. I I've been reading books and teaching about uh, residential schools for years, like even to young kids. Like <laughs> I was on a, uh, sorry, that's like, it's not funny. I laugh sometimes that I'm uncomfortable, but two years ago I had, a, it was right after I had Lucy and well, sorry, I guess right when I went back to work after having Lucy. So my hormones were still at a whack. And of course it's a really hard subject, but I was teaching a grade two class and I was teaching them about residential schools. And I was like, imagine somebody came and took you away from your mommy and daddy and took you for years. Oh, I, I, I remember you telling me about this. And I was this. bawling my eyes out in front of the creatures. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember this. Yeah. No, it's uh it's incredibly hard mm-hmm. and um you know, it's it's something that needs to be paid attention to. People in Canada need to start paying attention to indigenous rights. It's serious stuff and uh we owe them so much and they're getting nothing. Yeah. I wonder what can be done. I wonder what will be done if anything. Because I was talking about this in my other podcast where uh, like I would go to a movie theater sometimes or like an art gallery and sometimes they acknowledge the ground mm-hmm. that they were, yeah. it was on and it would just be like hushed tones and like now we're going to have a moment of silence to acknowledge that this is an ancient yeah. indigenous land. And it was like that that's the, the justification or that's how, how mm-hmm. they're going to get away with it. And it was like imagine someone took your kid away and stripped yeah. him of everything and just was like we're going to acknowledge that that happened. And it was like, wow, it doesn't seem like enough. 
not that I know uh, what can be done or the reparations that we're capable of doing, but it seems like something has to be oh, done, right? Yeah, it's, I'm going to swear, it's bullshit what we're doing for them because it is nothing. First of all, get everybody clean water. Like everybody, every Canadian should have access to clean water. This is 2021. That is insanity it's insanity when you said potable water that just means drinkable drinkable okay. yeah i thought you were saying portable with like a no. weird accent <laughs> I was like, you said that wrong and um like okay so for example out west uh they are cutting down shane like massive redwoods that have been alive for hundreds of years on indigenous territory the conservative government's going in and they're okaying logging in these areas this is like this is not okay and the indigenous people have been stewards of like we have so much amazing land in Canada and so much amazing nature and they have really been stewards for that for so long but now people are just going and they're they're taking from everywhere and you know it's essentially all greed and i'm going to say like give them land back give them more like we there needs to be better talks however i i'm not a pro here i don't know how that would go i don't know how that would work but it needs like something needs to yeah, happen. It's obviously complicated, but I think it's worth yeah. sussing out. But yeah, is there anything else I'm glaringly missing in my education? Which there's clearly a lot, but I mean, look, <laughs> tell me now, so I can so I can listen to this podcast. You've heard about again. the Holocaust? Yes. Okay, we've been over the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Like you know, you and I, not on the podcast, but I don't understand why they hate each other so much. Well, we we can talk about that okay. after. I'll give you a. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And do you, we've never talked about this in our entire relationship, but do you have any tips for anyone with, I think I've pinpointed, I know there's been various theories that I've come up with on my learning disorders, but I think what I actually have is ADHD. And I've learned this from TikTok through following various accounts about learning disorders and reading is a huge problem. And the way this one kid on TikTok was describing reading is the way I absorb Mm. words which is not at all i have no retention abilities and just my my thought patterns are all over the place do you think that you are still on the spectrum or i don't know i don't know which just it was that one test mm -hmm. that said i was on the spectrum that and then i took the test in front of you to show you how i answered it and you agreed with everything and it still said i was but i don't know all i know is i can't retain any information mm -hmm. uh, i can't follow simple directions on a map, I get my left and right confused, and it just doesn't add up to me. Well, honestly, and I know we were talking about this when you were thinking maybe you were on the spectrum, like with Asperger or something like that. Like, honestly, get tested. And mm -hmm. I do think it's worth okay. getting tested just to know. But I, I, if, I think right now it's ADHD. I'm on that <laughs> tip. Do you have any... Like, do you have any experience with that? Like, teaching kids with that? Any yeah. tips on how to learn? Like, what are they? Well, I don't... Each kid, it's it's... It presents so differently. But you know me so well. How do so I learn? She, well, I don't know your learning habits, but it presents so differently in each kid. And what would happen in our system is that they would get evaluated by somebody like my mom. Like my mom, she specializes in helping to evaluate kids. And So we're um, going to the cottage with her this weekend, right? So she, can, she can do an evaluation. Can she? I'm serious. <laughs> she's she's only ever done them on children, but I'm, I'm sure she can do a little bit. Yeah, potato, yeah. potato. <laughs> You're like a child. Okay, thank you for uh, enlightening me, Alex. And thanks always. for shocking, like surprising me with that very heavy topic that I totally wasn't prepared for. Oh, well, hey, it's easy for me because I'm just like, pass it over to Alex. <laughs>
like you said, you taught it. So I, I think you, you know a thing or two. I practice. I wanted to talk about communication. Right. Okay. How we can communicate better. And I wanted to start just with hugs. First, oh, just this. <laughs> what? Al, right off the bat, you're making me uncomfortable to bring up anything. Because I'm, I'm embarrassed. I know what you're going to say. What am I going to say? I hug too low. You want me to hug higher? No, that's not what I'm oh, going to say. Oh, okay. What I'm, I was going to say is we had a problem our entire relationship with hugs. You thought I really didn't like hugs. Yeah. But I'm fine with hugs. The way you <laughs> hug is just uncomfortable. And I found we have a breakthrough now because I've told you when you hug, just don't grab onto the fat <laughs> on my body. Shane said Shane said that this entire time for the past six years of our relationship that we've been hugging, I've been grabbing onto his love handles essentially when we hug. And I haven't noticed that. And if I do, it's because I like it there, maybe. I don't know. Well, I don't like it there. So it's it's a mix of ticklish and disgusting feeling. <laughs> it's like it's the most and then when you leave, what you do when you leave a hug, I'm demonstrating it here, but you'll run your hand down my body <laughs> and you'll linger on the love handle and leave like a creepy professor or something. <laughs> but it's it's so uncomfortable. And I found I said it again today. I brought it up. I was like, Alex, you're doing the hugging thing again. And then on the couch, you touched me again there and you just left your hand. I no, but I'm just like, this is something to look out for. But right afterwards, you came up and you gave me a hug, just that like my mm -hmm. top part. And it felt really good. And I was like, this is one of the first normal hugs <laughs> we've had. <laughs> and it was just like, she got it. It was communication back and forth. It was something I hadn't said for years. Mm -hmm. And then it, I feel like, boom, problem solved. And I know this week has been like, you know, a, a you were you were thinking we were going to get divorced. This I was going to say trying. This week trying. has been trying. Yes, but you like I I try never to bring up the D word. No, it's not like we bring it up, and it's not like I brought it up and was like no. We're gonna go. it, but it's <laughs> no, like <laughs> it, Alex never says we're getting a divorce. Like when we're arguing, but what she'll do is when everything's good, she'll nervously say, "I thought we were going to get a divorce." <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" And then you'll say. Yeah, you know, when when we were working so hard and we were very exhausted, I was like, we're going to have to quit the podcast, but I don't want to quit the podcast. <laughs> so we're just going to have to get a divorce. That's what I was thinking. And I was like, Alex, you, you think we'd get a divorce before we quit the podcast? I was almost like in awe of your dedication to the show. But <laughs> just the thought process, because everyone has weird things. It's like, you know, I can't learn. Alex has this emotional hiccup where she wants to get a divorce every time there's a a well, mild issue. It's because I hate dealing with problems. This is the thing, Shane. Like any time I've been in a relationship beforehand, whenever there was like a big argument, I just I just say, okay, well, let's just break up, and then I just walk away, like that's happily. Not, that's not good habits. Well, <laughs> happily, <laughs> always happily, honestly. And uh, I just hated fighting with people and i'm like all right well you know what if this is uh if this is how it's gonna be then i'm just uh i'm gonna go and then sometimes they would be in shock and confused and feel blindsided and then from my perspective i'm like well how could you be blindsided clearly it wasn't working out but obviously this is my longest relationship this is your longest relationship 
First one with children involved, too. <laughs> yeah, for both of us. And uh, yeah, I just, I'm, you know, we're, what's an, like the better word for argument? Like, like when there's a disagreement, right, we're both getting better, especially me who's terrible with these things, facing things head on. I'm trying to tackle them head on now and trying to communicate my emotions better. But then there's still that part of me that's just like, well, I guess... I guess this is going to be it. And then like earlier this week, like I was so upset because I was like, well, either I'm going to leave Shane or he's going to leave me because this just isn't working out. And I was so sad. And I was like in my head dividing all this stuff. In our <laughs> Who got what? Yeah. I'm curious. Who got what? I got, Who got the house? Oh, the house, the house we sold unless I was able to get help from my like rich aunt. Like I was thinking maybe like she'd take over the mortgage and I pay her monthly. Right. You know, I was trying to work stuff out like that because obviously we both want the kids to be happy in, mm. in this house. Who got the PlayStation? Oh, you could take that. Yeah. What did you want? Uh, mainly, mainly just the house, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking around, scoping out the joint. But yeah, I, I don't want to get a divorce. And here's the thing, like our argument, <laughs> our disagreement in terms of like things that would make people get divorced was like, okay, it's so, like I'm holding my one hand really high. That's the divorce. And I'm holding my other hand very low. And that's how far away we were from actually getting a divorce. Like it was like nowhere near. It was very low stakes. What started it was Alex had booked an interview on the podcast and then the, they had to reschedule it. But then you didn't tell me that you had to reschedule it, which kind of threw my week out of whack and then I just was telling you, hey, like we, we've talked about this, right? Well, and I then, thought you were being hyperbolic and like all this stuff, right? But it just, it, it you know, on like a Monday, if, if like it just starts out bad, it can domino effect until your whole <laughs> week just spirals out of control. <laughs> it was. And that's it what did. happened. It was just this little thing. And then there was a little bit of resentment and then it just built up. And then and then just like because we were stressed and because things were kind of like crumbling a little bit like with our, you know, separate work, we're just both getting more on edge and more on edge. And then because we were so on edge, more things would screw up because drop, balls would be dropped. And it was just this hideous cycle. And I don't think we felt good until I felt good yesterday. I was feeling pretty good on Thursday, felt good yesterday, felt great today. Yeah, I'm working on it. Still. No. <laughs> but what upsets me now is when, when you were saying the divorce thing, you were like, well, I would never leave. I just thought you wanted the divorce. Now on the pod, you're like, I was like, I'm going to leave. And he's, <laughs> so you were actually considering packing your bags and leaving. What? That ran through your head. I was just I wonder like... why the suitcase was down here. I, <laughs> I, th I thought it was because we were going to the cottage tomorrow. We are going to the cottage tomorrow. Okay. And it's just in case I change my mind tonight when you're asleep. Right. When you're asleep. But uh, yeah. Sorry. Right. When I'm asleep. <laughs> but yeah, I don't want a divorce. I don't actually rationally think that's ever going to happen. But I guess I just always want to have a one up on the. Um... You want to get ahead of the story. Yeah. Okay. No. I don't think that's healthy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next topic. Betty eating things. Now. <laughs> Sorry, Shane, these topics are hilarious, like in a sense that they are so all over the place. And of course, like if you're listening, I don't know Shane's topics before we come in. So, so far you've hit me with like a really tragic, hard to answer scenario. Mm -hmm. 
Then the divorce thing, which is embarrassing and ridiculous. And now Betty eating, which is just like. Well, I think all of these things are important and need to be talked about. Okay, so Betty's eating things. And I'm not joking. Like, this is an important thing that consumes a big part of my day. I'm always, every morning, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking she's going to choke and die. Uh, Yesterday, something was green on her tongue. I'm just, I couldn't figure it out. I, she'd open her mouth and her tongue wouldn't be green. Then I'd look at her again and she'd have a green tongue. And she's really strong mm-hmm. and good at when you go to examine her mouth, she'll grab your hand and whip it away. And you got to grab both of her arms with one hand and use the other one to fish your finger in. Or just go to the mirror and have her look at herself and go, ah, and then she, she'll copy you and open her mouth. However, she's onto that trick. Mm-hmm. She won't necessarily let you do it. But almost every day, something gets into her mouth. Yeah. And the green thing on her tongue was like a sticker, like a transparent sticker oh with a little God, bit of green so on it. So I pulled that out. I finally got it out. And then today, when when we did a switchover, because you went upstairs, like mm-hmm. you, you woke up really early with the kids today. Mm-hmm. And then when I came to take my shift at 7, uh Betty used that switch over time to grab something and put it in her mouth. A little bugger. And yeah, she she got something in her mouth really quick. Not sure what it was, but it wasn't something I consider overly dangerous. But recently, like four hours ago, she was crawling and she had something in her mouth and I pulled it out. It was a piece of wood. Yeah, oh, right. Like where did she even get that? I think she ripped it off. Like we have a wood floor and sometimes there's little bits that can stick up. And she'll find anything, like anything that is the most dangerous thing in the world, she will grab. Oh, man. See, okay. So this, I I think there's like two scary instances a day where I'm like, what has she got in her mouth? And I'm trying to fish it out. Like my thing today was she had a little piece of yellow chalk in her mouth. But it was like, it, it was not little. It was little in the sense that she could fit it in her mouth, but it was huge in the sense that if she tried to swallow it, it would have lodged. Like it was scary. And well, her I, tongue was yellow from yeah. the chalk. And I, I don't remember Lucy having... The only thing that scared me with Lou is that she'd go after the door stoppers and try mm-hmm. to get those in her mouth. But I think the difference is that we have a toddler who's constantly leaving little things around. And then Betty. Because when we had Lucy and she was, you know, during this like phase of putting everything in her mouth, you and I, it was easier to... Well, it was two on one. Yeah, and, oh, and so now scary. they're each going a different direction. Betty's so fast, you can't hold her twenty four seven. Her hands, she has the best hands. She's like Kawhi Leonard the way she can grab something with her hands, and it's just like how are more children not choking on things? So I, I researched it. I was looking up. I, I pulled like a U and researched <laughs> it just to let all the parents out there know the most dangerous things out there. Now I think these are in order. So the most okay. deadly thing a child can choke on is a battery. Oh, And it's my gosh. these little batteries, which are the culprit that typically go in like a hearing aid or like something. Like little round ones? Yes, because they're toxic. So oh, wow. get those out of the area if you have any of them. Put them in the safest place. If you drop it, make sure you find it. Okay, then next up we have coins, marbles, and small stones. Okay. Uh, then we have balloons. Mm, yes. Yeah, so which we had a lot of. We had a lot around, of yeah. recently. So latex balloons pop easily. And when pits 
It's, oh no, when bits of latex are swallowed inadvertently, they can easily conform to the trachea and completely Ugh. obstruct a child's airway. That's so scary. And that's a shame. That's what the stickers that, like she's had stickers in her mouth a couple times. That's what that makes me think of because they're like little plasticky latexy stickers. Yeah. So it's latex balloons. It says opt for mylar over latex. Okay. Okay. Whole, uncut, round foods. So yes. grapes are one of the top choking hazards. Everyone knows this. You always see moms talking about this. Okay. Magnets. So small magnets and batteries are in the same category. Mm. Watch out for that. Chewy, sticky foods. You know, you've talked about this. Honey is a big dangerous well, one. Yeah. And right now, honey, because it can it cause botulism mm -hmm. if your kid's under what, two? Okay, so small toys. Everyone knows this, but make sure the toys are larger than one and three-fourths inches. Because okay. that, when it's smaller than that, that's when it can be deadly. So if a toy can fit inside a toilet paper roll, don't buy it. That is so scary because yeah. we have so many little freaking toys because of Lucy, right? And Shane, I feel like, I'm actually so glad you bring this up because I feel like when I'm on duty, that's what I'm doing constantly. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I hope Shane like is also also knows how many hazardous things are. It's all are. I think about. It's, okay, because me and too. Even when she has nothing in her mouth. Yeah. Sometimes she looks like she's chewing on something. And I know. she, Betty, has the worst habit of always going, <clears throat> <laughs> like Lucy never did that. Betty's, <clears throat> she grunts <clears throat> constantly. All, constantly. She grunts and gravels. Okay, art supplies. So be careful with art supplies. Always make sure you get non-toxic crayons, markers, and paint. I need to say something on that. So Lucy dumps her crayons like every morning, and some of the crayons are broken into little small bits. We need to make sure she doesn't dump those anymore. Yes, but those are not toxic crayons, right? No, but chokeable. Oh, yeah. Okay, and the number one food-related choking hazard for kids, can you guess it? Hot dogs. Yes, because I told you that earlier. No. I did. Everybody I knows that. Oh, I didn't. I, Alex, when I told you hot dogs, you went, hot dogs? No, when, when did you say hot dogs? Two weeks ago, I told you I was Googling choking hazards. Oh, because I, I was probably like, hot dogs. Like, as in, yeah, Shane, I've, <laughs> okay. I've, I've, I've spoken about this on this pod before. No, I want a divorce. <laughs> no. I'm out of here. I don't like this disagreement. Okay, so that's all I have right now. Um, I think we're going to get to El Amin first. Yeah. Could you say his last name again? I know. Abdel Mahmoud. There you go. And the, yeah, obviously challenging last name, uh, but that is kind of that's, what he's all about. Story, is, yeah. yeah, honoring that name and embracing it. But before we get to this interview, let's let everyone know who we are supported by. We are supported by Mini Miosh, a premium, organic, and ethically made kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity, and they make the best basics for your littles. If I was a child, which I pretty much am, this would be <laughs> my favorite brand of all time. And I think it's Lucy's. I know it's Lucy's favorite And brand. their parents' favorite clothes, too, because they make soft, comfortable, and timeless outfits that can be passed from child to child, regardless of gender. Plus, their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low-impact, non-toxic dyes. They're on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it, and they believe that every little bit counts. You can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And use the promo code ThisFamilyTree15 for 15% off your order. That's huge. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is minimiosh.com and ThisFamilyTree15. And now let's get to our interview with Elamine. 
Hi. Hey. hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Real oh, good. Great. Great to meet you. Yeah, likewise. How's your day? Oh, it's pretty hectic. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> yeah? the last week has been so hectic for me. I just finished a shoot at work and we're just yeah. putting the final touches on the editing. So it's been nuts. Isn't this supposed to be like a time where people like slow down or something? I, that's what I keep hearing, but I have we haven't experienced that. If that's the case, no. so we decided to have we had another kid work picked yeah. up. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. From the pandemic, the moment the pandemic struck, I found it was the busiest time yeah. of my life until now. What? How's it been for you? Exactly the same. Yeah. Exactly the same. <laughs> I mean, I suddenly sort of found that I could just take on another project by switching tabs, you know, because I'm just kind of like at home and be like, <laughs> yes. oh, hey, we're entirely different space. And so it just became too easy, like way too comfortable for me. Just be like, sure, right? I can do this too. Why not? Let's do it. And then before you know it, you know, it's been a year and I'm like, that was genuinely the busiest year of my professional yeah. career so far. It's nuts. Yeah. The problem is when it started, I thought, oh, let's capitalize off this for the three weeks this is going to last and let's take on more than we can bite on. It just yeah. never ended. Yeah. So here yeah. we are uh, over a year later and it, we're still doing all the same stuff with no end in sight. Well, I guess the, with the vaccines, but. Are you finding that you're worried that like you can't slow down? Because I, I don't think I genuinely don't think I remember how to have a slower pace in this. I think I took like a week off somewhere mm -hmm. in there and I found myself like, I'm anxious. I don't know. I want to yeah. fill this time with, you know, 100 percent when I'm doing nothing. It's like I'm forgetting to do something mm -hmm. and I'm dropping the ball somehow. See, yeah. I can I can do nothing happily, but. You have a problem, but then again, because we've taken everything on now that I think if we did nothing, I'd just be thinking, oh my God, we could be booking this person. We could be doing this. We could be going forward in this way. And I'd be like, that one yeah. week is just yeah. a wasted opportunity. It's hard. 100%. Yeah. And you can't yeah. leave the office. But do you think that we're ever going to go back to normal uh, office life that we were before? So I work, I work for BuzzFeed Canada. And so we are a 15 to 16 person office that's based here in Canada out of like the larger organization. And we just got the email last week that nobody in Canada is going back to a physical office, which oh, wow. is not. Like the rest of BuzzFeed is, but you know, um, we are not. And I'm starting to think that like, we can't be the only company. Like we can't mm -hmm. be the only company that's thinking, well, we could probably like lose a floor or two of employees. You know, we don't have to pay for as much real estate. Like, if you're a company that is close to ending or renewing their lease, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know why you would. You just you just wouldn't right now, right? No, I know. So when they say that, do they mean you're not going back in the foreseeable future? Or do they mean ever. I mean, like, there's there are currently no plans yeah. to right. reopen that office, like Shopify. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. The folks in the U.S. offices have heard that, like. Some people will be going back if they want to, but like they don't really have to. And so it's going to change the way that we do journalism. I mean, like we are a journalism media company. We're kind of used to being in the same room with one another, throwing ideas at one another, kind of like building on those ideas. But vibe doesn't change. Like it's been yeah. a year of, you know, just doing it this way. And do you do you prefer it this way? Honestly, no. no. Like I, I am I'm one of those people who like I like to go in the office like I would say even before the pandemic, I was probably going to the office, let's mm -hmm. say like three days a week, two, three days a week. I like seeing people. I like the energy that I get from around people. I'm an extrovert. We are an, a misrepresented community throughout this pandemic. And there's a like, <laughs> yeah. if that's where I get my energy from. I get my energy from being around people and hanging out with new people. And, you know, and so getting used to this is like not, not my favorite thing. Like a few of us have been like, okay, we can find a solution of some sort, mm -hmm. hang out together, yeah. uh, maybe co-work after all this is over. But 
it's going to be, it's going to be an adjustment for sure. I'm not, I like some parts of this, but not all parts of it. And what about your podcast? Cause you host two podcasts for CBC. You do party lines and pop chat. Shane yeah. also, so you guys are both kind of pop culture guys. He does a podcast yeah. with somebody, a friend of ours who you have met Max Kerman and yeah. Shane is the pop culture aficionado on that podcast. So in name, I'm not really like you're probably much <laughs> well, better man, than me. Yeah. Just own it, dude. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that, that's me. I'm the expert. But right. how, how are you going to go forward with, the, with those? Like, have you been doing those on Zoom like everybody else? And do you think you'll just keep doing it on Zoom? Or this is a corner of my bedroom that you're seeing, like this view right now, like with like. I'm like, we should put like, I should put maybe a a, a ring light close to my books to make it look like I'm trying to do something here. (laughs) But this is where I do, this is where I do the podcast. Like I sit right in this corner of my bedroom and I do them. It's been easy to be honest. And I don't know if there's like a lot of incentive to change it. Mm -hmm. Having said that, like, I am one of those people who like the formality of like getting up in, getting up in the morning and I'm going to shower. I'm going to take my commute. I'm going to think about the things I want to say when I get there. Like you just kind of like, I, I had this whole process of just getting into the right mood and right vibe. And mm-hmm. like now I have to sort of walk around my apartment and listen to a few songs just to like, you know, kind of like slide into that vibe that I'm hoping for. <laughs> so we made it, we made it work. Um, but I don't know it's my favorite thing. And honestly, like for, as far as the podcast are concerned, that really means going into the office, going to a studio for, you know, an hour for one podcast and like an hour and a half for the other podcast. Like it's not, It's not a long time to be spent in the office, Mm -hmm. which is why I kind of want it back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And two, when you're, I've noticed doing these Zoom interviews, uh, because I've done interviews in person and now, of course, I'm very used to doing them in Zoom. The conversation flows different because it's Mm -hmm. not as easy to chime in when you want to have an interjection. So it's very hard to do that. It's exactly, it's exactly right. Like you're much more attuned to like watching people's faces and be like, Oh, can I can I contribute now, or do I have to wait for this to end? It's just a very different sort of social dynamic for how you chime in a conversation. It's so weird. I will never get used to this. Half the people that we interview too, and I, I don't think it's going on with yours, but they have that feature turned on so that if somebody is cutting them off, that sound gets muted. Yes. So then yeah. there is no interjection because then somebody just gets muted. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Zoom delay is comedy poison too. But I will say, like, when we launched, when we launched Pop Chat, the pop culture podcast, like, we launched it in the middle of the pandemic, and we we record on Zoom, you know, like, mm-hmm. our conversations are on Zoom, then each person records locally. I have no idea how it's going to be if we go back to doing kind of, like, in-person recording yeah. sessions, particularly because, like, we have someone in, we have, we have someone in New York, we have someone in London, England, and then we also have our folks who are kind of local or in the country, and it's just going to be a different vibe. If you have three people in a room, but one person in London, like it's just so different. You yeah. Know? It's like you're boxing that yeah. one person out mm-hmm. in a way. A bonus is now I've realized you can get a guest from anywhere. Yeah. Like we just had Dr. Drew on our podcast. I would have never thought to have Dr. Drew on our show if Zoom didn't exist. Yeah. Like I would never be like, let's call him and do an interview that way. So now it's that? just opened up guests to anyone in the world almost. Which and how is, have you been finding that process in terms of like doing it on Zoom? Good uh, for that reason. Yeah, it's great for contacting no. celebrities. The pandemic was the easiest yeah. it's yeah. ever been for us to book guests because everyone was home right. and bored <laughs> and almost desperate to work. Especially at the beginning, yes. people didn't want to get off the line with us because they were just so bored and in yeah. need of connection. <laughs> so like we'd be trying to hang up on like kind of big celebs because yeah. well, yeah, we, we were nervous. A, we had Perez Hilton on and we had to go somewhere. 
And then, yeah. so we, we had to keep it to 40 minutes, but he ended up stretching us to like over an hour. And it was just like, <laughs> we can't get rid of him. And before that, for her birthday or Mother's Day, we paid for a cameo to get Perez Hilton, like to do a, a 15 second video. And she was over the moon at that. And then before we know it, a year later, we can't get him off the Zoom line. So we <laughs> <laughs> should yeah. shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, Amazing. you know, so... I mean, like you're a guy who's about connection. You mentioned you are an extrovert, right? Yeah. And you think of the connection that is involved with being a journalist. So not just reaching out to people, but also just in what you're doing and what you're writing about, you know, seeing something happening and then trying to find ways that that connects to society, connects to different people. And then the reason that I contact you in the first place, I read an old piece that you wrote to your daughter. It was a letter to your daughter who is the same age as our daughter, vaguely. I think, was she born in 2018? Uh, 2017. 2017, yeah. okay. And that is so about connection too, about connection to heritages, to your heritage. heritage. Oh my goodness. See, this coffee's not <laughs> kicking in yet. To heritage, to your roots, things like that. And what is the importance of connection to you? Because you seem so very much entrenched in that. I think there's, there's something about wanting to have conversations with people that like maybe we don't really understand the psych our own psychology behind why we need it so much but it's because we oftentimes are curious about other people because it makes us it helps us work out something about ourselves and we sort of like figure out something that we are working through and so the piece that you're mentioning is a, is a piece about my daughter's name um and how she got it and her name is Amna. That's her first name. It's an Arabic name. It's an Arabic word for safe and sound. And she also has my last name. And the piece is about me sort of working through this process of being like, okay, we gave you a middle name. Her middle name is Elliot. That is meant to be kind of an escape hatch from, hey, where that where does that name come from? What 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 is this Amna name? She loves her name, by the way. She appears to not need that escape hatch at all. <laughs> yeah, it's great. But she doesn't have an escape hatch for my last name. And my last name is Abdul Mahmoud. It is a weighty name. It is 14 letters. It is a big <laughs> ask of anyone to say it. And I, that was by design. That was by design because we wanted her to have a last name, my last name, where she can remember that at least a part of her doesn't come from here. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and so much of like our own stories are made up of our names and like how we got our names. And what was kind of amazing about that piece was the, the amount of conversation and connection that ended up inspiring just a lot of people who reached out and said, look, my name is not exactly a rare name. It's a name that a lot of people have, but how I got my name is really interesting and unique to me. You know, and people talked about like why their families gave them the names that they gave them. And some people are like, I've actually never had that conversation with my parents. I just like have this name and I just walk around with it. And this inspired me to have that conversation. And again, it's like, when you spend that time in, when you spend that time, like as I do, in terms of writing pieces that make us connect with one another, like the point is to work out something about ourselves and to work out something about, you know, how we think about the world, hopefully. So those, those are like the openings that I'm interested in. Is like, what makes you reflect about yourself? What makes you reflect about like the, the space in the world that you occupy? See, I loved the piece and I think it resonated with me because it was it was written with such uh, like delicacy and love, mm. but at the same time with such purpose. And there was one line that you wrote in there that was kind of at odds with that delicacy. And you said, I want you to feel the sting of lineage, with your yeah. last name. And I was so curious about that. You talk a lot about burden 
and Mm -hmm. the importance of having that burden. So Mm -hmm. what do you mean by the sting of lineage? And like, how would you want her to feel that in, I guess, everyday life? So I, uh, I come from, from a patrilineal sort of culture. Uh, in Sudanese culture, you, your last name is just your father's name, you know? Mm-hmm. So like my full name is like Alameen, Saifedean, Alameen, up in my mood. And so, but I can name up to like 16 fathers of fathers before me. Yeah. It is, it's like homework, man. Like, <laughs> you know, like you gotta, you gotta do drills when you're young. Me and my cousins were just like sitting around, like learning all of the names of the, the, the grandfathers and the grandfathers and grandfathers who came before them. And like that, that's work. It's work, but it's also work that's asking you to be like, where do you come from? Mm-hmm. Who is, who's, who else is a member of your tree? And, and I'm like, I, I think giving, giving Anna that last name is her, is, is us being like, you also got to do this work or you have no way around it. It's even a little bit harder because like I moved to Canada from Sudan when I was 12. She doesn't have, you know, 12 years of grounding in living in Sudan. She just knows this. So it's going to be even more work to teach her Arabic, which I probably got to get around to start doing, (laughs) Uh, like not doing a very good job of that, but also like drilling the idea that like, this is who you are, but also these are all the other names that you're connected to. So to me, like, that's the sting. Like the sting is like, you got to carry all these names around with you, like everywhere you go. And like, when people ask you what your name is, like you got to like pop all that down on the counter and be like, this is who I am. And like, (laughs) That's hard, but that's all, I think it's also like something that's important to me. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the uh, Freakonomics documentary where they talk about names? No, tell me more. So there is a, a part in the doc where it goes over if your name isn't a common name or it's like an mm-hmm. ethnic name, the odds of you getting a job uh, are much lower just based on the yes. resume, getting a callback. Mm. So yeah, I've heard, I've started some of these studies. Yeah. So that type of sting, how do you feel about her having to overcome that obstacle or do you welcome can't that? Wait. Can't wait. Yeah. I, 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 I listen, I don't think it's going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's going to be easy for her to write her name down and people go, I know everything I need to know about you. That's a hard thing to do. I've had to face that myself. I still have people who, you know, in criticizing my, I mean, this literally happened a week ago, someone like making a criticism of something that I wrote. And they said, of course you would think this way. Your last name is Abdul Mahmoud. And they're implying, I think like a whole host of Islamophobic things. Right. And they're bringing, they're bringing all those meanings to it. But also I think like that fight, and this is something that I wrote about in the piece, like that fight has also made me who I am. That fight has also sort of like refined my ideas of who I am, clarified a lot of things for me, clarified where my values are, clarified whether you know, whether I feel like that is a fair representation or not, by actually making me engage with everything that my name brings to the table. And I actually think like that is, it's hard, but I think it's also like a good gift and good a good opportunity. And, you know, she's four. She's not asking those questions yet. She's mostly just like really enjoying saying her full name. But, <laughs> yeah. but there will come a time where she has to, you know, I can't wait for her to like have to fill out those like those like exams where you got to fill in like the bubbles of your whole name. It's going to take you such a long time. And I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. It's going to be lit. I'm so excited. So, you know, you came over to Canada when you were 12 from Sudan. Yeah. So your experience, you moved to Kingston. Honestly, so we, we live in Hamilton. I don't know mm-hmm. much about Kingston. I don't know much about the diversity in Kingston. But sorry, her, uh, our Lucy is potty training right now. So <laughs> Of course, of course. But uh, so I don't know much about the diversity there. But what was your burden with your name? Like you came as a preteen, a teenager. That's a tough time for anybody, let alone an immigrant. 
Yeah. First of all, shouts to Hamilton. Thank you. <laughs> my my mom lives in Hamilton, and also my in laws are from Hamilton. So we it's are the best place to be. Okay. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I love, I love Hamilton. I'm in Hamilton very frequently, like probably like every other week. Like it's very frequent. I love that. I love that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Kingston is an interesting place to land because it's an interesting representation of what Canada looks like, I right. think, in the sense that had I been Elamine Abdul Mahmoud in Toronto, it would have been a fight, but yeah. it would not have been as hard of one because I would have had other people who also have names that are challenging for other for white people to say. It would not have been, I think it would have been a closer to, I don't want to say the norm, but it would have been reasonable to expect that there's going to be a lot of names that are like, you're not going to get immediately. That's just a part of living in a place like Toronto. Not so in Kingston, right? Not so in a place like Kingston where my name does elicit a lot of conversation. Some of it positive, some of it tiresome. Some of it is like, Mm -hmm. where does that name come from? And I'm like, oh, I love that you're curious. Or like I mentioned earlier, like some folks who just kind of like assume that they might know everything that they need to know about you from your name. And that is like sort of the tiresome end of the the, the spectrum. Mm-hmm. When you're coming at, at 12 years old, like you end up kind of like adapting different names. Like for a little while, my nickname was Stan. <laughs> How do you get is, Stan from any well, of that? I mean, yes, 100%. <laughs> I, I completely agree with you. <laughs> And this was and this was like the name for a while, but like I embraced it because I was like, oh, this will make it, you know, if if I if I say you should just call me Stan, that's just gonna remove all of the burden of of somebody else having to deal with my name. And then like eventually I was like, no, I don't I don't know if I want to do that. That's sort of like reducing myself, making myself a little bit smaller so other people can feel comfortable. Those were also some of the lessons that I, you know, you have to go through in a place Mm -hmm. like Kingston where you figure out, okay, what is my relationship to my name and my own identity? So I, you know, I grew up in, as you know, in Hamilton, we had a lot of Arabic students at my school, like Mm -hmm. a lot, a lot. And from my perspective, I would think that, oh, like, These guys had no problem fitting in. We had a lot of uh, Kurdish immigrants, actually, Mm -hmm. and like very recent immigrants. Now uh, at a school that I teach at often, there's a lot of Sudanese and uh, immigrants. But at that time, when I was a teenager, too, I was like, these guys fit in great. Like there's no there's fewer hardships, you know, Mm -hmm. than I would expect. But then growing up and actually realizing the shit that they go through, that their parents go through and just trying to establish themselves in a new country is so tough. Yeah. And do mm-hmm. you think that your classmates and your peers in Kingston, do you think they got that? Or was it very obvious that they did not? Did, did they think the same way I did? You know what I mean? Oh, well, I, I actually don't think they would have even had an opportunity to do that. Because one thing that would have been lit about growing up in, in, a, in a Hamilton or a Toronto was that yeah, it would have been hard, but I would have had other Sudanese people to lean on. You know, I would have had other folks who whose names are challenging or at least thought of as challenging to lean on. In Kingston, is like they, there's a representation of one, you know. So like at my high school, there were a total of five, I think, black kids like that. That was it. Like that was the whole, you know, that was that was the entire population. Like these are the, these are the challenges of choosing a place like Kingston. 
every day, I uh, every time I talk to my dad, I'm like, can we just talk about you choosing Kingston for a quick <laughs> second? Because that is a choice, sir. That is an incredible choice. And he just says, like, he fell in love with the city. Um, he, he first moved to Toronto um, mm-hmm. and was staying here for a little while. But he uh, he sort of went to visit uh, Kingston. He was like, oh, I really love this. But the trade-off there was that I actually also don't think I would have learned the way that I speak English now as fast, if that makes sense. Because I know that, like, growing up in a sort of accented enclave sort of ends up reinforcing the way that the accent works, right? So, like... For better or for worse, I ended up learning this, what I would say is like a very white, very Ontarian, very Kingstonian version of English. And that itself has ended up shaping a lot of the direction that my career has gone. So mm-hmm. that's that was an unexpected outcome. And, you know, you said that it would be a big ask. Like you said this in your article and again in our talk now for your daughter mm-hmm. to take on your last name. You're like, I know it's a big ask, but you're going to do it. What would be the alternative? Like, do is it common for Sudanese immigrants to to have an alternative? Like, it's not so much that there's an alternative. It's that like I know of plenty of second and third generation kids, immigrants who don't really have to think about the other place that they're from. Mm-hmm. You know, and in fact, they go out of their way not to. That they they maybe they cultivate a version identity of Arabness or blackness that is based in their experience in Canada but not necessarily like tethered to another place. And I didn't want that. I didn't, and I, the reason I didn't want that is because I've seen it. I've seen it with other folks who are, you know, were born in Sudan or their parents brought them here when they were very young or they were born here, but two Sudanese parents whose version of, of existence is mostly modeled around the ideas of, of being black in Canada and has very little to do, like very disconnected with its origin points in Sudan. And that is something that I wasn't really interested in, in terms of parenthood. I don't judge it per se as much as like, oh, I feel like a pretty strong connection with Sudan. I feel like Mm -hmm. pretty strongly like, hey, a part of me didn't originate from here. And I'd like to pass that on. How do I pass that on? And like the name is sort of an effective way to do that. I had a friend uh, growing up, and I'm sorry if this was covered while I was gone. I I missed out on some stuff. But um, he changed his last name because his last name was Gurley. So he was mm-hmm. he was very embarrassed of the name Gurley. So he mm-hmm. he changed it. He, this guy was a big man. He was six four. And then eventually, I found out he changed his name to something completely different. Mm-hmm. If your daughter eventually chose to go by her middle name as her first name, mm-hmm. would you be okay with that, or would that be something that you'd be very offended by? I don't know if it would be as simple as like, would I be okay with it or offended by it? I think like we'd have. I'd hope that we'd create a culture in our home of having conversations about decisions like that. Like, okay, what is, you know, what is the choice behind that? Why are you doing that? And also like going by her middle name is not, you know, to me would not be a big surprise. Like it is, that is what it's there for. Yeah. But the last drop in the last name, I think would be like, okay, woof, my emotions, man, but mm-hmm. let's talk about this. Why, why are you making, why are you making this choice? But I, I, I don't know. I, ha- I, I keep preparing for this period of time, maybe like her late teens, which mm-hmm. is really like, you know what? No, fuck this. I don't know if I want it. You keep it. That's, that would be reasonable and totally in line with what you'd expect from, you know, young children of color who are dealing with racism, who are dealing with the weight of society. I'd hope that by then we'd give her enough tools to sort of stand proud in her name. But, you know, I, I have no idea all the ways <laughs> I'm going to fail, you know, as a parent between now and then. So we'll see. I'm yeah. sure it'll be a million ways by then. So. And when this article came out in 2018, quite a lot has changed uh, since then. What was the initial reaction from the readers? 
it was honestly like this like really loving embrace of wanting to talk about their names you know mm. people who talked about names and were like hey my name is bill and when i introduced myself as bill it doesn't sound that exciting it's like oh there goes another bill but also like there's a story behind this let me tell you the story behind it because you know some people like would have been fed beautiful stories of the people they're named after or unconventional names that you're like I don't you know I've never heard a name like that before and then like you mm-hmm. hear the story from from the parents and be like okay so this is how you arrived at that name because honestly like you know when you think about it like the name of your kid is one of the first choices you get to make about how you want them to live their life and there's so much intention and thought that goes into that that very quickly, I think, in life gets erased by that somebody says, what's your name? And you go, well, here's my name. And it's like, no, there's like a story here. There is, there is, there's meditation, there's practice, there's thought, there is, you know, there's prayer, there's wishes that all baked into people's names. And like, very few people get a chance to talk about them. So when that piece came out, people were like, ah, man, I'd love to talk about my name. And I've done a lot of things I'm really grateful for in my career, but hands down, the greatest career highlight was this teacher at a middle school in Toronto who taught her kids that that piece. Her, I think they were grade seven, eight students. And she had them basically ask their parents how they got their names and do a little assignment, like presentation on it. And I was invited to, to come watch that presentation. So I heard these children explain how they got their names, how doing the assignment changed how they feel about their names, because suddenly like they understand that the name didn't just come from nowhere. It sort of like arrived with thought, with intention. It was just really beautiful and satisfying to see because I was like, this is exactly what I'm hoping to do with something like this. So I read that you guys had uh, suffered a miscarriage before having Amna. And I'm always curious because for us, like, so we went through a miscarriage before having our youngest daughter, Betty. And the names that we kind of had reserved for that previous baby, we we kind of retired, right? Mm. And I was curious, did Amna, did that come from was that experience built into her naming as well or was amna always kind of an option for you guys i honestly amna had never been on the short or long list before Mm -hmm. that we didn't go as get as far as having sort of names reserved i think like we kind of like as as is our approach i don't think it's changed which is just like to have a bunch of names on standby and be like, which one feels like, you know, like you meet the baby and you go like, you definitely don't look like this name, (laughs) but more so this name. It's crazy. Like the intention and like idea, like the ideas that we like sort of ascribe to literal newborns with, with Amna, the, that thought kind of came just a few weeks before she was born, when we were still sort of like sitting around being like, what is the right name? What, what is the name that we're going to go with? And, and Emily was like, Amna. And, Emily's not an Arabic speaker, but, you know, she just like, she said it and she wasn't making eye contact with me. And she looked at me and I just kind of like fallen silent. And like, I I was like welling up with tears. I was like, do you know what Amna means? And she was like, no, what? And I was like, it means safe and sound. And she was like, that's the one. And so it was just like one of those sort of perfect confluences of events. Amna certainly wasn't even on my shortlist. Like, Mm It's like, it's not like a young Sudanese lady's name. It's more like, it's like an older generation sort of Sudanese woman's name. And so it like, it just kind of, it just all 
fell perfectly together. How did she even know of that name's existence? If she's no. not an Arabic speaker, did she look through like a book or something? She, she yeah, she, oh. she was researching a bunch of like lists online because basically, okay. like what we agreed on was that we would do an Arabic first name and an English middle name and an Ar- and like my last name. From there on, we were just kind of like going back and forth. Um, I had a bunch of Arabic names in mind. So did she, you know, she researched a bunch and she added to that list. And then like we assembled these names are like, this sounds like this person would be like such a cool person to hang out with. I love this name. <laughs> and then we ended up on Amna Elliot, which is, which I love so much. See, I've never heard of an, I have never met an Amna before, but only having seen photos of your daughter, it just seems like a little kid name to me. And yeah. we named our youngest Betty and everybody's like, oh, that's such an old lady name. So like, I get that very much. Yes. But I'm curious about Elliot too. Because, you know, in Midnight in Paris, uh, Owen Wilson goes, proof rocks my mantra, man. I love, like, this is after T.S. Eliot, right? Like, yes, I love yes. proof rock. That was, like, one of the th- my things growing up. Who, who yeah. chose that? Well, so Eliot is, like, I think how we arrived at Eliot is fun for us to talk about. Because it's not just Eliot. It's Eliot with one L, one T. Yeah. So, like T.S. Eliot, but also, like, George Eliot. And it's, like, okay, we've got writers that this, that, that this name goes after. But also it's like Elliot with one L, one T is actually kind of gender neutral. And that is that is that is also a part of the thought process. Like, do you will you ever need a gender neutral variation of your name? Yeah, why not? Why don't you have that built into your name so that if that need arrives at a certain point, you know, if you feel like your gender identity doesn't match mm-hmm. um, who you are, you've got that escape hash. Like that that is just a name that is sort of built in there. And so it's like it's got everything going for it from the gender neutrality to the poets and novelists to um, the fact that it's just like such a beautiful like I think of Elliot as just like a really soft name. It's mm-hmm. so soft, you know, and I just like really Absolutely. love the softness of it. And, you know, you gender neutral like that didn't even really come into play when I was thinking about names. Do you think that has to do with your background in gender studies? Like, does that come in like seep into your parenting a lot? Yeah, I think so. I think like just like it. I don't know if it does a lot, but also like one one part. We're reading a couple of. I wish I could remember their names, but we're reading a couple of books with Amna, where she's like really like enjoying talking about people who are gender neutral and people who are specifically gendered in the books. And like from time to time, I'll be driving and I'll be like, "Hey, that lady looks like I don't know." I'll just make a comment about someone else in another car, and she, four years old, will be like, "Baba." you don't know if that person's a lady. She <laughs> might not be a lady. I'm like, all right, okay. you know what? Uh, fair play. So she's like, I think she is sensitive to that. And our sensitivity to that is also like transferred to her. So just having that option is just like something that is like, consider this, you know, is is good to have and in her back pocket if she, if she ever needs it. Okay, Elamine, we're just going to take a quick break to let everyone know who we are supported by. We are supported by Hello Bello. Being a parent is hard. Like really hard. It is. So when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that's absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just as tough. And you know, those blowouts, they happen and they're they're not fun to clean up. And we have found in our research, it's way more manageable if they do happen and they happen way less with Hello Bella. Way less. I don't know what it is. I'm not a 
diaper engineer, but they do happen way less. And of course, Hello Bello is co-founded by Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard and is built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. Their diaper bundling service lets you choose from over 20 fun different rotating designs throughout the year. And each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers, four packs of plant-based wipes, and even one full-sized product freebie with your first order. And we've been getting a lot of emails about the rotating designs. They do stop rotating once your child is wearing them. (laughs) Plus, you can get 15% off of any add-on. So we love the bubble bath. We love the wipes. I love the detangler. I use it for myself. And of course, Shane loves the diaper rash cream, not for himself, but for the kids. It's the only thing that works. Thank you for clarifying. (laughs) But to get Hello Bello's super soft, super absorbent, and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door, go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree30 for 30% off your diaper bundle order. That is a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowout saved. That's right. That's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30 to start bundling with 30% off your first order. Don't forget that's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30. And the promo is applicable to Canadians only. But we are also supported by... Mabel's Labels. Frustrated by their children's things getting lost, mixed up, and leaving home never to return, Julie Cole and three other mom friends knew they could do better than just scribbling their kids' names on masking tape. From there, Mabel's Labels has grown into an award-winning, market-leading company loved by moms and dads and kids alike. Lucy loves them because some of her labels are in the shape of hearts, others have cherries or hedgehogs, and they are so cute, and she can start taking, you know, ownership, and she can feel a little independent when it comes to her own things. But Shane, why do dads love them? For me, it's also because of the hedgehogs. (laughs) I just love cute designs. All right. And of course, everything is extremely durable. So their line that features baby bottle labels, allergy and medical alert products, sports labels, household labels, and seasonal items, everything is laundry, dishwasher, and microwave safe and 100% guaranteed. So they're amazing products. They go on everything, and they even have clothing stamps out now, which are super cool. So check those out. Hedgehog stamps included? I'm not sure. You could probably do that. But head on over to mableslabels.ca to start creating your very own labels and use the promo code thisfamilytree15 for 15% off your order. They deliver internationally and offer free standard shipping in Canada and in the U.S. So again, that is mableslabels.ca and thisfamilytree15. And now let's get back to our interview with Elamine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think about you know, kind of your upbringing, what made you, you and growing up in Sudan, obviously you would have, you know, felt like you, I I read that you had a ton of family there. And I mean, anybody in there, wherever they're from, wherever their family's from is Mm -hmm. gonna feel that in a different way. And have you kind of integrated any aspects of Sudanese parenting and Sudanese family culture into your daughter's upbringing here or your parenting? No, but I think that's because I'm sort of all all the time trying to figure out, you know, what parts are Sudanese culture, what parts are my parents and their sort of particularities. And so, like, I think, like, the storytelling, for example, is something that I have incorporated, but I don't know if that comes from my parents or it comes from Sudanese culture writ large. So I haven't, like, I don't think I've been very particularly intentional about that in terms of, like, incorporating it into my parenting style, if that makes sense. She hears a lot of stories um, about Sudan. She hears a lot of stories about specific relatives who really touched my life in Sudan. But in terms of, like, the parenting style, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I, I came from a culture where it was like, let's just spank people all the time for no reason. <laughs> and, and that was like, that's not my favorite thing in the world. So I'm going to, we're going to bench that part yeah. and hopefully like move on to something a little bit better. 
I will say like that part is really challenging because a lot of like the ways that I was parented, I'm actively fighting against sort of mm-hmm. implementing in my parenting all the time. You know, it becomes this, oh, this like really interesting challenge where you're like, oh, if I'm doing this because this is the way that my parents dealt with the situation. And I have no other sort of guess as to how else I should deal with this. And this is where it's really helpful to have someone like Emily, my wife, um, who's like, uh, you could do literally anything else. I mean, you could just <laughs> leave the room for a minute if that's what you need. And I'm like, oh yeah, these are options that are available to me, which is great. Like yeah. I, you know, it's sort of a learn deprogram as you go, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, not only is it a generational thing, but it's a cultural thing too. And there's so much that goes into how we all parent, how we were parented and just kind of separating ourselves from that. And like both of our parents were raised here, but just so many differences, I think, in how we, in how we tackle things. Oh, I was, I was spanked for sure. And sometimes I'm like, that really worked because I knew to stay in line. And of course, I, I'm not going to be spanking my children. But um, yeah, but that's that's tough, right? Because yeah. like, what you what you so here's the thing about Amna is that she is a force of nature. Like she is a person who is very willing and ready to assert her will into the world at all times. Mm-hmm. And I love that about her. But also I'm like, look, man, like I have stuff to do. You know, it's so like sometimes, you know, um, we'll be fighting over how to do this one thing in in a very particular way. And I will like in my body recall what it was like for my parents to end that argument with some kind of, you know, punishment. You know, it'd be like, oh, they're just going to put an end to it by either like raising their voice in a particular way or a spanking. And then it was like, oh, the argument is now over. You've won because you did that. And now I'm like, I, I don't have that option. And I have to sort of like teacher not to be stubborn in the ways that I'm stubborn um, because every time that I'm stubborn with her she's like oh the way to get what I want out of the world is to be more stubborn than the other person and then and then she mirrors that behavior back and I'm mm-hmm. like oh, this this is me this is not you this is I did this so these are these are fun lessons to learn but we're getting yeah there. it's so tough how important is it for you to go back to Sudan mm-hmm. with her really important really mm-hmm. important uh, we haven't done that yet uh, the plan was to do that at some point around this time or maybe next year. Like, I, you know, one of the earliest conversations we had was about, you know, how long do we want it to go before she sees Sudan for the first time? And I was like, ideally four or five. Ideally four or five would be like her earliest memory of visiting. Mm-hmm. And, and then a coronavirus happened, you know? And so that kind of threw out some of those plans out the window. I, You know, we have no idea when children her age will be vaccinated, et cetera. And so like, it just kind of makes everything a bit more complicated because in, in an ideal world, we would have gone we, or we would have gone or we would go like this summer so mm-hmm. that she's like, okay, I can connect the ideas that you're talking about and the stories that you're talking about to real people, real places. When you say, this is the house I grew up in, like you, you could see it, but she hasn't, yeah, she hasn't had that. She just kind of has the pictures. Yeah. Yeah, until, until we're all waiting for that coronavirus to be over. And until then, what it like music stories. And I don't, I don't know much about Sudan, but I really love uh, an artist from Sudan. I don't know if you know, his name's Emmanuel Jal. He lives in Canada now. I saw him perform at the, you don't. You, yeah, I saw him perform at the Junos like years ago. He's from South Sudan. The one we went to? Okay. No, no, not oh, the no. one we went to. Um, And he's awesome. Hmm. He's so good. But I, he might live in Toronto now, I think. But very cool, very cool. Check yeah, it out. Emmanuel, yeah. Emmanuel, what, sorry? Jal. I think that's J-A-L. Okay. I'm very cool guy. Down. Yes. But uh, 
Anyhow, well, wait, you wanted what? to ask him about his favorite movie, and I, well, well, okay. that was going to be your opener. It was going to be my opener. Pop culture aficionados, <laughs> I always respect the. I always respect the opinion. Favorite movie, favorite song, or at least ones that are up there. Oh boy, favorite movie is is Moneyball. Oh um, wow, so fairly yeah. recent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, it's a decade old at this yeah. point. You know, oh, like it's, it's a bold been, choice. It's, yeah, but I will have to. I have to say, like, I don't. I do not like baseball. I, I really don't like it's just it's not my sport I'm not into it but that movie man like it does something to me that is like very moving because I think it just gets at a larger question than anything that has to do with baseball which is that the fundamental question that I think Moneyball is asking is if you and I were living through a revolution would we know it or would we want to be one of the people who would wait years and be like shit that happened and that completely passed me by and that's a question that i'm always interested in you know like think about like i think about all the revolutions that we've lived through you know like like when napster was happening it was like is this a revolution i don't know um when facebook was happening when tinder arrived which is like a super young app in the in the grand scheme of things and it just like re- it just changed everything that we know so like when you when you watch muddy ball it's really i think useful and instructive to watch it as as a movie of a couple of people who are like there is a revolution afoot and we are noticing the ways it's changing all of us and then there are people who are like these people are fucking crazy and and it's like i think it's like a really fun tension that the movie treats really really well um so i return to that movie a lot i know too much of it off by heart (laughs) But uh, I would just like, it's not, it's not like a, it's not like a fun dialogue to recall. It's not, you know, like it's not No, I, I like, it's like your journalist. This is a good journalist yeah. recommendation. All that connection stuff. 100%. And it's also like, it checks out that it ends up being a book that is based on, it's, it's a movie based on a book about, you know, how like statistics change baseball. A totally inane thing that just ends up making <laughs> such an exciting movie that is just so thrilling. Oh, it's an awesome movie. Um, are you into basketball? Is that your sport? No, I'm a soccer guy. Oh, soccer. soccer. Mm-hmm. I was going to yeah. say because with basketball, the game has totally changed because of Steph Curry and the statistics yeah. around just shooting the long ball, how that's a, a better percentage yeah. shot. And I was wondering if that would be an interesting movie. And I'm, <laughs> but, it's, yeah. but you know what, though? Exact same mechanics, right? Yeah. Exact same mechanics of like one person starts doing something. You go like, ah, uh, whatever you're doing makes no sense to anybody else around you. And then eventually you're sort of either proven to be right in a way that shuts everyone else up or you fail in such a spectacular way that everyone goes like, we now know the thing to do because mm-hmm. of your failure. Yeah. Those are like, like the ideas of how that change happens are interesting. But I think the psychology of being yeah. the kind of person who recognizes that change is also like fascinating to me. Brad Pitt does it so well. Yeah. He's so lovable in that movie. You know? Yeah. What kind of person 100%. are you? Like when you're in the middle of what you think could be a revolution, will you speak up and go forward or will you kick back and wait to see if it hits? I sure would like to. I sure would like to think that I'm one of those people who are like, no, 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 this is the way of the future. But I don't. Like, I I watch that movie like once a month. I watch that movie way too often, and I never watch that movie thinking I would be the Billy Bean character. I would be the Brad Pitt character who goes, "Yep, this is a this is a direction we're going to commit to," because there's so much at stake, you know. Mm-hmm. And like, and the more you know, the more investment you have in like the single way of doing things, the harder it is for you to change your way out mm-hmm. of them, right? Like how to, harder it is for you to wrestle your way out of doing things in one particular way. Having said that, you can maybe, I can maybe recognize the emotions behind, you know, when somebody goes, hey, we got to do things differently. And if I ever find myself going, 
fuck no, you're absolutely wrong. Then maybe I'm like, oh, I, I'm, I am defensive about my way of doing things because I think like another question that is constantly rattling around my brain is in the future, there's going to be a moment where my daughter says, hey, dad, what was your generation thinking? And I don't know what that's going to be about because I certainly had that conversation with my parents, with my, the elders in my life and the mentors in my life about the way we talk about certain things, you know, about certain conversations in terms of like, you know, the rights of certain people, but because the conversation has changed so much that I am like all smug and young person who's like, what were you guys thinking? Mm -hmm. Thinking in this very backwards kind of way. That's gonna happen to me. I'm constantly, I'm not like, you know, I'm not uh, proud enough to be like, that's never gonna happen to me. I'm never gonna get caught flat footed in that way. But I keep wondering what it's gonna be about. Like what is gonna be that what the fuck dad conversation that I'm having with my daughter in 10, 15 years. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm really interested in getting there. No, it'll come. And I, you know, that's a part of parenting and that's part of just evolving as a person. It's constant learning, constant evolving, constant having to shift what you thought you knew into something different. I mean, before we, before we get going, I want to ask about your book. So son of elsewhere, when that's that, when does that come out? Well, I mean, it comes out May 2022. Okay. That's currently the, the plan, so a year from now. But it also means I got to finish writing it. Between oh, now and that's then. essential <laughs> element to the book writing process. Very key, yeah. very key. Where, yeah, I'm, I'm about, I'm about like, I really am like 8,000 words away. We're like, we're almost there. We're so close. And I'm hoping to sort of like turn it in in the next couple of weeks. And then, but yes, you will, May 2022 is the cert, is a current plan. How many layers of editing do you go through? So after the 8,000 words are done, you give it to someone to edit. And then is it like you give it another glance and then back to the editor? How long is that process for people who don't know? My writing process is just like I walk around for days and then eventually I just start writing. And then the thing that I write is like something that I end up liking. Some pieces have gone through two or three rounds of edits. Like, hey, you need to clarify this. Hey, the structure of this is not working. Some pieces have gone through one and been like, okay, we, we just need to tighten up these like little elements and otherwise like this is good to go. And some pieces I've finished and the editor goes like, ah, uh, I don't think you know what you're writing here. And that's okay, <laughs> but we're going to maybe bench this piece or completely restructure it. So it's, it's sort of been, it's been quite a range, but I'd say like the typical process is like, I finish a piece, I send it in and then I get some feedback. And then like, we usually do two, maybe three rounds. Um, that's been like, what's been the most standard case for, for the pieces so far. Do you ever say to the editor, F you, this is my baby, I'm not changing it? Like, do you ever get so attached to the material where you refuse to change it? No, but that's that's that money ball thinking. You know, that, that, that's like, I don't know. I could be just being open to being wrong, being humble enough to be like, oh, the person I'm working with like has been editing books for some time. They mm-hmm. have experience with this. They're reading something into the structure that I've assembled that is just not working for them. It also helps to like work with people you like. My editor is great. And like, he's really good at sort of understanding what I'm going for in a piece. And he's like, you know, I've seen this before. And the thing that you want to do is better served by you making these changes. Mm-hmm. And that for me is like an exciting process. Cause I'm like, okay, let me go, let me go like reimagine this part so that it could better serve the piece. Cause ultimately like we both want to do the thing that is in service of the piece itself, which is to say like, how can we make the point of this essay the clearest it could possibly be while also like keeping the emotionality and keeping the tenderness and keeping all these sort of emotions that drove it. And mm-hmm. sorry, what is the book about again? 
not me, it's a memoir. So it's a memoir and essays. So it's, it's sort of like using some pop culture lens to talk about moving from, from, from Sudan to Canada and like, you know, what things like the OC or like 24 or like wrestling did for me as I was sort of like trying to like formulate an identity of what it means to live in this country. Mm-hmm. Nice. Oh, that sounds yeah. awesome. Is there going to be some laughs along the way or is it a more uh, serious piece? Yeah. Nice. I Listen, it's funnier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> certainly like I, I, I sort of ended up kind of recognizing and like being resigned to that idea as I was writing where some pieces are like, this is really fucking dark and dreary, but others I'm really happy that they have so much levity, more mm-hmm. levity than I thought they would, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. No, that is nice. That no, is I'm nice. I'm excited yeah. to check it out. I know. Yeah, May, May 2022. And for people, I mean, that want to check you out now for listeners, uh, where can they do that? Where can they find your writing? Where can they find you on socials? On Twitter, Elamine88, E-L-A-M-I-N-88. Uh, on Instagram is just Elamine because I could lose 8-8 eight, eight, and I'm now the one and only Elamine. I've had to beat several other Elamines for that handle. But we did it. We did it. Congrats. We did it. Yeah. It's a money um, ball ethos. Exactly. Exactly. And then the podcasts are Party Lines, which is a Canadian politics podcast, and Pop Chat, which is a pop culture just kind of like shooting the shit show. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Alamin, thank you so much for sitting down with us today and chatting about everything that we chatted about. We reached far and wide, but thank you so much. And my uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great weekend. Showing up, and uh, you have a great afternoon. I got (laughs) to run to get my daughter now. (laughs) Do your thing. Okay. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Bye. Okay. There you go. What'd you think? See, that was it. Was fantastic, and it was funny because I got so nervous prior to this interview because I was like, yeah, he's, you know, he's a real smart guy and he just, I don't know, he occupies a certain space in culture for me when it comes to, I think it's because he works for CBC and BuzzFeed and I'm just like, I have him on a pedestal. But then, like you said in the intro, like he's so warm and so kind that all that just kind of melts away. And like, it was an amazing conversation. I really love that. Yeah. You, uh, every now and again, you'll come in my office and you'll be like, Shane, I'm freaking out. And this guy, <laughs> this guy's the real deal. And, uh, <laughs> but you did well. And Thank I'm you. glad to have you by my side. Cause as we know, I cannot speak on these things, uh, intelligently. <laughs> uh, but yeah, our, our next interview, this one you handled alone. So yeah. So we've got Denise Boomkins. Denise Boomkins, anything to say about her before we get to it? No. So it's, I, you know, before you start listening, go check out her page. It's and.bloom on Instagram. Check out her photography and then you'll get an idea of the type of beauty that we're, we're discussing here. And yeah, it's a great conversation. But before we get to this interview, let's let everyone know who we are supported by. We are supported by My Breast Friend. My Breast Friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. For more than 25 years, My Breast Friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing. The spelling is B-R-E-S-T. That's it. No A. Breast. No A. And lactation consultants around the world credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they thought possible. Shane and I can attest to this. I would breastfeed loose see when you know when we first had her we had the pillow it was amazing it was given to us by a friend and shane would nurse her with a bottle and like truly we loved it so much all of the other breast pillows we had just kind of became like pillows to lay down on on the ground they're called breast pillows and this is called my breast friend but really it's a nursing pillow yeah so it can be used for people who don't even have functioning breasts exactly like you it's perfect of course yes 
And it's simply the best, most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding. You can purchase My Breast Friend online at buybuybaby.com, target.com, walmart.com, babylist.com, and amazon.com. And now let's get to our interview with Denise Boomkins. Do you mind if I ask you again for your long, beautiful answer on aging unapologetically? <laughs> what no, is, you're, you're so good at it. I'm like, oh, trying to get my English as perfect as possible. Oh, you're great. You're great. <laughs> yeah. To me, aging unapologetically means that you age without rules. Women, little girls, they get born and raised by mothers and grandmothers and from uh, history on we are taught so many things to do and not to do the rules of being a girl and a woman uh, can be really hard we are supposed to be nice polite helpful we have to be sweet and cute and beautiful and follow so many rules and that continues through life uh, also, when we go to school and then we have to find a nice boyfriend and we have to find a good job and study and then get married and have children, all these rules continue. And then at a certain point in life, you become older and then the rules change. And then the biggest rule is don't age because <laughs> anti-aging <laughs> which is a impossible rule to follow because we all age if you're lucky and then <laughs> the rules come like oh, you can't uh, you can't study anymore because now you're too old to make a career switch or you get fired because you're too old you can't wear red lipstick or you can't wear the clothes that you used to wear because now you're old and you know this whole thing is full of rules and aging unapologetically to me is trying to wake women up and show them by my pictures and my stories that there are no rules. A lot of women that I talk to, almost all of them, they start to become much more confident and happy with themselves because you're leaving something behind. There is this part in womanhood that, uh, and maybe it has to do with fertility, where you are busy with uh, maybe some sort of competition or trying to prove yourself to the outside world. And when you did that like you you and you had your husband or you have your husband and, and your children and the beginning of your career then something changes and menopause also has to do with that change of hormones and most of them feel very comfortable and uh, I think it's a big shame not to shine a lot of light on them because they're so beautiful and beauty has nothing to do with wrinkles beauty has to do with confidence and mm -hmm. That confidence that most of these women feel after 40 should, you know, should be more out there and shown. See, I feel at – I'm currently 32, and I feel more confident at this age than I have been. Like when I was in my teens, I mean, I know – I don't think I know anybody who is truly confident as a teenager. I know people who are confident in some things, but I've never met a truly confident girl in her teenage years. My 20s, I think I was even less confident because I was starting to go into the workforce, starting to date people seriously. And now at 32, I'm feeling so much more confident in a lot of things, but I am still so scared about how... I will proceed and how I will continue to feel about aging. You know, like, so I'm I'm one of my only friends who doesn't get Botox. Uh, and 
Denise, (laughs) every single day I look in the mirror and I'm like, this, it's getting, it's getting deeper. Like, what do I do? Do I need it? Do I give in? But then I have this thing inside of me. It's like, don't do it because then you can't tell your girls because I have two daughters that, you know, they're perfect the way they are. I have to believe it before I can tell them. And that is so it's so difficult. And and that's why I think I love your page so much and why I think I want to hang on to the idea of, you know, what what you defined aging unapologetically, because it's like an anarchist look at it's like an anarchist beauty ethos, right? Because you're saying, fuck the rules. I'm going to do things my way. Fuck what society is asking me, how they're telling me to feel, how they're finding value in me, because you're going to find value in yourself and in aging in a different way. And I think that is, I think that's so important. And, you know, I'm curious, you brought up, you know, the boxes that we're put into as little girls and as we're growing up, were you, like, did you feel those pressures on you growing up or were you raised in a different way? Because your outlook on everything seems so unique and it's like a pillar of strength, honestly, in a very injectable world. So I'm curious where you got that from. You know, that's a really funny question and no one ever asked me and I really have to think about it because it's interesting. I've always been different. So um, I'm an only child. My mom, she's she was born in Indonesia. Her mother was Indonesian and her father was Dutch. So at the age of nine, she came to the Netherlands. But she has uh, had an Indonesian upbringing. And I don't know if you know anything about Indonesian or Asian women. They are very modest. Mm-hmm. They're very, uh, they like to please and they hardly ever say no. Although she thought a lot of no, she never really, you know, they were just, she was just not uh, brought up that way. And seeing her being stressed by a lot of things, also by my father, I think that awakened something in me. So I've been a very assertive person from already a very young age, very independent and born a feministic sort of woman. I wanted to have my own career. I didn't want to have children. I never wanted to get married. I wanted to travel the world, make my own money and take care of myself. So that was it. And that is probably something that my mom, who always had a job and always showed me that I had to take care of myself, but in a very modest way, taught me. And I I just turned that into some sort of, you know. (laughs) Of course, around your age, I thought maybe I want to have children. And then I was very late with everything. So I I met my husband when I was 32 and then thought of children and then found out that it was not going to happen well it did happen but it, the doctor said that it right. probably never happened the question was <laughs> why are you so why are you the way you are yeah I don't know it's just character. <laughs> it's hard it's hard honestly and it takes a lot of strength and like even you know like in my journey to become more comfortable with aging and become more more comfortable with I guess beauty standards because here, here's the thing Denise like I love men very much. And I love being the center of male attention in my 20s. Like I loved going out and looking good. And I loved having guys coming over to me and buying drinks. It made me feel powerful in a way. And I think that for me, as I get older and, you know, like my I 
now pushed out two kids. Like my body has changed. A lot of things have changed. And for me, it's, I have moments of where it's very difficult to think, okay, like my place in this world has changed. I am not, I have to find power in a different way, or I have to find some way to feel good about myself that has nothing to do with how these people see me. And that has been challenging. Did you did you ever go through that? Or have you always just been like, F it, I'm fabulous and <laughs> <laughs> Well, I am a little bit like I said, I'm fabulous. But of course, I used to be a model. I started modeling when I was six. I'm not shocked. <laughs> <laughs> Happened by accident and did that job until I was around 25. Moved back to the Netherlands. I went to art school, studied photography for four years. And then I stopped modeling when I was 29. And then I was a fashion photographer. But of course, I was a very good looking, cute fashion photographer. So it still working in fashion with models and it's the whole the whole industry and the business that is all fabulous and, mm. and, and good looking but I changed my strength mm-hmm. and I noticed in myself that my interests and I also had a lot of attention from guys in my life but my attention changed mm-hmm. and it changed from men to women and not because I'm a lesbian because I'm not but because I think, and I I thought, and I still think that women are much more interesting species than men. So (laughs) whenever I walk on the street, I always look at women. And that is what I started to notice. And I think I make a lot of eye eye contact on the streets when when I walk. I like to look at women and give compliments. And my strength lays in giving strength. And then you receive it back. And of course, it's crazy then when you walk on the street and uh, the guy I have a, a a house on the other side of the street and they're building uh, building it rebuilding it and the guys that work there during the day <laughs> look at me anymore you know? <laughs> like this, this lady <laughs> and they used to turn around and look at me when I was younger going oh cute girl and I never really liked that but now it's gone and that's crazy it can be really a mind fuck. Yeah, yeah. Young and you, you know, but you have to find your strength in other in other things and not in male attention. Because if you if you keep that uh, that wanting, you'll feel invisible because mm-hmm. they will stop looking at you at yeah. one point. Yeah. No, I, I I agree wholeheartedly, and you know I think some people are maybe they've never cared about that. And I hate even admitting that I cared about that to the degree that I did. I hate admitting that, but I really did. And and I know I'm not alone because I know I have some friends that are the same. And if we hadn't, you know, ever spoken about that, then I'd probably be too embarrassed to admit that. But I think that for me, that is maybe the only hang up I have with aging. The only thing. But I'm really trying to fight against it. And, you know, like I've Oh, geez. I have so much in my Instagram feed every day just about, you know, um, injections, Botox or filler or this and that. And I I see a lot of people I know getting these things and I'm like, they look great. It makes them happy and I'm so happy for them. But then at the same time, I'm like, I feel angry that everybody is getting sucked into it. And then it's just raising... It's it's making it so impossible, so impossible. 
And I, I was curious if, you know, injection and plastic surgery, Botox, if they had a place in your definition of aging unapologetically. Well, I'm absolutely not against anything because I think that if you're unhappy, really unhappy about something and it is there to grab and to do, why not? Uh, why torture yourself by not doing it? You know, what I do believe is that you should always respect the age that you have. So don't try to look five or 10 years younger because then you end up going crazy because, <laughs> you know, as long as you respect your age and respect the fact that you are, you don't need that. But, you know, one day you'll hit my age. I'm like, okay, I have this forehead uh, wrinkles and it starts to all start to hang a little bit <laughs> going to my beautician every month and she's doing radio frequency and everything. So, and I'm happy and I really love my aging phase mm -hmm. and I'm blessed with a good mindset on aging, but I'm not against Botox and fillers mm -hmm. because it's not my place. You know, aging unapologetically is also without apologies doing whatever you want. Yeah. Who am I? you can't do that no, it's just the fear of aging shouldn't be botoxed away how old are you 46 46 see that's like this oh i'm so i'm jealous of your mindset and i know i'm not far like i i'm okay most days but i am envious of your mindset and i want to get there soon like i, I want to get there soon so that i can live with that freedom, like we were mentioning, with the the fuck the rules mentality that we were mentioning, because I do think that it will be helpful, not only in my personal life, but in career, in everything. And you, you think of women as they grow older, it's like, not only do they have to deal with sexism, but they're dealing with ageism as well, mm -hmm. right? And it's again, like, what does this woman have to offer to society now that she's done being hot, and she's done you know, potentially becoming a mother. She has nothing to offer. It's like you're a crone. You need to go live in a cage somewhere. But that is what your parents, your your mother and your grandmother showed you that way. You, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The girls in your class, the, yeah. the way you live, where you live, your society is somehow projecting that on you. And that's why you think like that. Now, when you think of like men, right? They... Even women love them as they age. It's like they're aging like a fine wine. And there's that whole myth. What do you think they have when it comes to aging that women can take something from? Like societal expectations aside, because that obviously has the biggest impact on it. Well, men don't have all these rules. Mm -hmm. They are born and their mothers told them they are the best, the greatest, the most beautiful, strong, smart. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's what mothers do. Of and mothers do that with their sons. So boys are raised in such a different way uh, than girls. And there are no limits for boys. Mm -hmm. well, there are lots of limits, but for boys, there's no limits. They can go and do whatever they want and have careers, there's no there's no ageism and there's no sexism towards men or there is, but not as much as the other way around. And not all men age like a fine wine. I mean- <laughs> No, they don't. <laughs> no. It really is a myth. I see men my age and I'm like, what? Okay. <laughs> no, I, there are men that are really aging beautiful and they, they 
starting to get old age a little later than us. And that's because of menopause. Mm-hmm. And when photographing, because you are such a beautiful photographer, when photographing older women, what do you find so inspiring about it? Or is there something in particular that you find so beautiful about it? Well, my favorite subject is 60 or 70 year old women because, and then as natural as possible, because they, they didn't give in. You see, they, they didn't use Botox and they didn't do uh, fillers. So they really aged naturally. Uh, some of them, most of them actually had their eyelids done because, you know, yeah. a lot of them do that. And I don't consider that as plastic surgery. That for me is more um, um, medical because otherwise, you know, you can hardly open your eyes and they get migraines and stuff. So that maybe they have done. But most of the women I photograph that are in their 70s or in their sometimes 80s and 60s with a lot of wrinkles they are so beautiful because that are the examples of how it should be mm-hmm. without photographers and how it could be and especially when they're confident and happy with themselves because they embrace their age and they love themselves then they are the most beautiful women i can portray mm-hmm. and then of course there are the fun ones and the, the ones with the, with the great stories but the natural as possible and confident as possible. Mm-hmm. And is there is there an age group, whether it's like in their 20s, like you you photograph fashion models, things like that, or 30s, 40s, whatever, that is the most difficult to photograph because of, you know, perceived beauty issues or hangups or anything like that? Like what is the most difficult age to photograph? Well, I... I, I, I only photograph women over 40 these days, mm. but I've been uh, shooting a lot of fashion and beauty stories for di- different magazines all over the world. But young girls are actually very difficult to photograph because they're beautiful, but there's nothing on the inside yet. <laughs> just, there's no character. There's no story. I used to love making the most perfect fashion pictures, but there's nothing in the eyes. And I was also not looking for the character i mean if you look at the top models especially in the 90s these girls had character and that's why they became top models but the average model is just a pretty girl and it's beautiful to look at but if you want to tell a story like i want to do with my pictures now in this stage of life i want to see character and you can see it in the eyes and whenever i make my pictures i also talk to them because most of them, the, the normal women, they're nervous, of course. They come to my studio, makeup and hair and everything is like, like a professional photo shoot. Then they start to get nervous. So I always talk to them. And as soon as you talk to women and really ask them how they feel and you get them to, to open up, they start to show character. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic. And of course, when I was 30, I didn't see that. I didn't see that in a 50 or 60 year old woman i only looked at the stage where you are now probably at beauty as perfection mm-hmm. and, and i think it's a i think it's a it's a it's a stage it's a process you'll go there you know i didn't think like this when i was 32 mm-hmm. uh, i started to think like this when i was 39 40 and then i started this project when i was 42 
because I was so desperate for inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, how am I going to be? What am I going to wear? What's, what kind of makeup can I wear? How can I look? It's not there. There was just so little. So I had to create it myself. No, and I, th- I think you did an incredible job. And, you know, like I think of, so I've had amazing women in my family. So I have two grandmothers who are now dead, but they were amazing women. And like talk about character, like they've just, they had gone through so much in their lives and they had so much story to tell and they were never ashamed of it. Like, especially my dad's mom, she was just one giant vodka drinking character and uh she was just an amazing woman for that and my mother I mean she has never had anything done she has always you know been happy at least on the outside to me as an example of who she is and what she looks like however I think about her I think about you know, what must go on in her mind sometimes in not seeing representation of women her age and that sucks and that's hard and as so much of our culture goes online and everything is so visual now like she's she's now 61 and she's stunning right not just out here but like inside she is so kind and loving and stunning and I just think about how difficult that must be for women in that age group so I I thank you for doing what you do for bringing light to the beauty of people at any age because it is so important and I was reading a study I wrote down hold on it says that women as they age actually report higher levels of overall satisfaction happiness and well-being and lower levels of anxiety depression and stress post-menopausal women are the happiest so this is from 50 to 70 years old so do you find this in women that you have photographed yeah because they become more peaceful and content Mm -hmm. they become more happy and i am absolutely certain it's hormones that that change i mean for a lot of women menopause or pre-menopause can be really really rough but once they are on the other side of the tunnel they become much more content with their lives yeah you hear that a lot see i'm excited i'm excited my 20s were too high stress for things like that and for you know caring about how i looked and if I could feel just a little bit better, incrementally better every single year, and like I already feel so much better now than I did five years ago, then I'm looking forward to this. I think this is good. It is good. It is good. I remember turning 30 and I was like, Mom! <laughs> and she's like, girl, <laughs> once you hit 30, you'll feel better because my 20s were all over the place. Yeah. And uh, he was right. And the 40s are even better than the 30s. And then the 50s are apparently better than the 40s. So, you know, I'm not scared anymore. I think uh, every stage of life is beautiful. The only thing that I can um, confirm for myself, but also uh, tell from all the women that I portrayed and interviewed is that self-acceptance is a very big part and self-love what is self-love well accepting who you are and it doesn't really have to do with a little wrinkle on your forehead but it has to do with overall accepting that you are going from one stage into the next and 
you have to let go mm-hmm. because you cannot hold on to something that is gone. And that can be very challenging. I really would have loved to have more children. And, you know, the boat's gone, let's say it like that. And I accepted that and it's still hard. And for you, maybe it's the way you look or something else that you have to let go. But once you do, there is another door opening and then there's other possibilities and other things you can do uh, unapologetically and forever on. And um, I think a lot of women uh, fearing aging because the media is showing them so much that is the way you should look. And trying to hold on to that look also on the outside yeah, you get disappointed because it's an impossible task. It's a dream. Mm-hmm. All right, Denise, we're just going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we are supported by. We are supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs. Now, we're laughing because we've done this read so many times because Shane wants to interject with something so great because he hears me talking about Bravado Designs all the time because I love their bras, nursing bras, regular bras, everything. You're preaching to the choir. <laughs> that was the line. <laughs> Anyhow, Shane introduced me to Bravado Designs and I have not turned back since. I used them for nursing when I first started with Lucy and I continued to wear them after I was nursing just because they didn't have an everyday wear collection yet but they now have an everyday collection so these are bras with no clips and anybody with boobs can wear them not just nursing mothers you're preaching to the choir (laughs) doubling down but you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com but regardless of which website you go to use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20 percent off so again, that is bravadodesigns.com and this family tree 20. You will not regret this. But we are also supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Well, when we're drinking, we are drinking Seedlip. Yeah. So I guess it's just when you're not drinking alcohol. Oh, exactly. Because everything else feels the same and you get to kick back as you would with a boozy beverage. And, you know, as a non-drinker, it never feels great when your only options are water, soda or sugary mocktails. But now, like Shane and I, you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. Well, it's a, it's not a boozy beverage. It's a boozy substitute beverage. No, oh, exactly. You said you get to kick back with a boozy beverage. Well, I said it's like that. I said oh, you get the same effect. Like you, you relax, you have endorphins going yes. without the hangover, without all the nasty stuff that comes from actual actually drinking yes. alcohol. True. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, so we had Grow 42 tonight, which is very citrusy, Garden 108, and Spice 94, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. If you're going tonic, we of course recommend Fever Tree. It's so good. And you know, you can make more complex cocktails, which we like to make usually, and you'll find those in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore NA. But you can head on over to SeedlipDrinks.com and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is SeedlipDrinks.com and ThisFamilyTree10. And now let's get back to our interview with Denise. And You know, being a woman who is, I think a lot of people will envy your mindset and I think a lot of people will hear this and try to possibly start working towards that mindset themselves because it it 
is enviable. It's freeing. And it's so much more relaxing. The pressure that you take off yourself when you do carry that mindset is incredible. So do you have any advice for women who are trying to shed all these expectations of themselves? Well, I, yeah, uh, I look at myself uh, at moments. I, I study myself and I always, I always say that I make self-love selfies mm-hmm. and then I study myself. I look at myself and I wrinkle or gray hair or whatever. Uh, I think to get to know yourself in a very open way and look at your face and accept what you see and love what you see really helps. I think by not comparing yourself to others and definitely not to younger women, because that is so painful. You can't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> go online, go to end room and look at older women. Yeah. <laughs> because when you look at the future, mm-hmm. then you know where you're going. If you're looking at the past, it will only be painful. <laughs> I don't look at women anymore because I'm like, Okay, I have like a million wrinkles and she has none. Yeah, of course, because she's 32. Yeah. She has a different life. She had a different life. She has a different everything. You cannot compare. So stop comparing. And then when you flirt, flirt with older men because if older men, they look at younger women and then, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> year old <laughs> flirt with it. Yeah, you know, and, and have fun and make a lot of girlfriends because with women, uh, when you're younger, you have more of a competition of who is more beautiful, who has more attention, and then, and then, but when you pass a certain age, friendships with women, they can be so much more fulfilling friendships with men because you talk about real things and, and, and it goes beyond looks and beyond uh, if you have wrinkles or starting to get older. They're very important, and that's what I learned too. Yeah. So, don't look at photos of younger women. Flirt with older men in friendships with women. The secrets to success. It's the magic recipe. (laughs) (laughs) Don't compare. And and another one is don't talk yourself down in the mirror. So if you have a bad day and you look at yourself and you're like, "That? (laughs) Who is that in the mirror?" Uh, Just walk away. And look again when you feel better. And honestly, I think people are going to feel better after hearing you. Because honestly, Denise, I was having a horrible day. And then this the technical issues happened. And the first, what, 10 minutes of the interview were lost. And just this this conversation has really brightened me up. And I, I do so appreciate you being here. And for the listeners, where can they go to find your photography, find you online, on social media? Well, my, my project uh, is an Instagram project. So that is where I have the massive following and all the women that are always there talking to me and also uh, making real connections. So if you're lonely or you need to look at all the women, go there and find other women to connect with because it really is a beautiful community. I also have a website and, uh, and bloom.amsterdam instead of com, it's Amsterdam. And I post there and longer articles and blogs and things like that. So Instagram and the website. And I almost always answer all my messages. So if there are any questions, I'm there. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And honestly, if you are listening and you do want to just feel good, I look at your account every single day. Every single day I look at it once and 
even if the images I've already seen a hundred times before, I love looking at them. And it, it truly does make me feel so happy and like full. You know what I mean? So thank you for your beautiful art, Denise. And thank you so much for sitting down with me today and for being so patient through our uh, technical screw up. I appreciate it. <laughs> no worries. I'm a photographer. I'm big technical <laughs> screw ups. Really. Yeah, it was really nice to be here. And I hope... Uh, especially for women like you in their 30s you know go to my account and look at these ladies because there's no fear in aging it is really a beautiful thing hell yeah no you you exude fearlessness and uh, i do appreciate that quality of you so denise enjoy the rest of your week thank you so so much thank you okay take care bye bye Good job, Alex. Thank you. You know I didn't listen, but I know you always <laughs> do a good job. Well, you said you were listening from the other room. Yes, to this one, I was listening a little bit just to make sure everything was okay. But, and you know, you did forget to hit record in the first uh, part. Oh, and it, Denise, if you're listening, I still feel so sick about that. So Denise and I spoke for like 10, 15 minutes. Oh, that's rough. And I wasn't recording. And then when I realized it, I was like, I was so embarrassed i was so embarrassed it's every interviewer's nightmare when you think Ugh. that red light's blinking and it's not well she was very gracious about it okay but your other interview that you is going to come out later mm -hmm. i listened to and i was like this is phenomenal and then afterwards you were like that was the best interview i've ever done so look forward to that one with who is it with <laughs> that was with uh, dr cindy hovington she's a neuroscientist yes Okay, but now it's my part where I get to kick back, relax, and listen to the mailbag segment, which is listener questions that you have painstakingly researched and answered. And <laughs> why you laugh? Well, it's just funny because, like, thinking about painstaking research, it's like the vast majority of the questions tonight are like personal questions. Oh, maybe. well, <laughs> I spoke too soon. Now you've piqued my interest, so I'm gonna sit back and potentially be involved now because get ready to be involved okay babe. i'm ready all right so first question what do you and shane do for regular work like outside of the podcast so i i teach yeah you taught me just in the beginning of this episode <laughs> did i retain anything some some Good. i'm getting better yeah, anything more to add to that Alice? no i teach i teach <laughs> i teach and i'm a mom <laughs> You're like michael jordan you reach i teach no That's i teach awesome. i do the podcast i do the social media and i'm mother and i frig like if there's anything else i should be doing somebody give me a little more hours in the day wow. should i get into comedy too <laughs> yeah that's pretty good it's good material so for me i write and direct commercials i have produced television shows i've directed music videos but yeah, my, my full-time job, regular job, is writer, director, producer. It used to be called Predator, but now I think that term has come out of fashion. Was it really? <laughs> yeah, called producer-editor. That's... And you direct, too, so they... Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, they, <laughs> then the Harvey Weinstein thing happened, and I, no one was calling Predators Oh, yeah, predators. I'm, a, I'm a Predator. Yeah. <laughs> Hello there. Um, that's wild. Yeah, but that's what I do. So that that's question number one answered. Well, you know what, Shane? I think we're both kind of actors now. On TikTok, you mean? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. here's the thing, because we technically are almost paid actors. So we we do these skits every week where we, you know, learn lines and then How we How are we almost them. paid? Well, because we're given clothing from kittenace. <laughs> <laughs> so does that make us professional? No, raise your standards, Alex. <laughs> We're she, professional actors. They were expensive clothes. They were, but you cannot, like, 
you know, we can't pay the bills with uh, fancy shirts. It, no, we can't. We can't. But we can look good doing it. Of course. Okay. Is there another question? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Who would play you guys in a movie? I say Cole Sprouse and Lily Reinhardt. So I knew who Lily Reinhardt is only because younger people usually have told me I look like her. Cole Sprouse, I didn't know. Shane, do you know either well, of, of those course. people? Cole Sprouse is from Big Daddy. He's the, tw- the little boy in Big Daddy. He has a twin brother. He's in Riverdale. Yes, but there's Cole and Dylan Sprouse, and their breakout role was Big Daddy. They're the little kid. Wait. The little blonde kid. What? With Adam Sandler's the looking no after. No way. Yeah. He, that can't be Cole Sprouse. He's like Italian, this guy. He's not Italian. Yeah, he was born in Italy. Mamma mia. I Okay, let me just Well, you can be this. born in Italy and still be in the movie Big Daddy. Cole Sprouse. So he is known for his role as Cody Martin on the Disney Channel Sweet Life. Sweet Life, yeah. That's the same kid? Yes, and they're twins. Cole and Dylan, they're identical twins. Yeah, he was born in Tuscany. Well, wow, that's a new Oh, two American parents. Okay, yeah, so that is flattering for me. Well, look at this. I found a picture of them together because they used to date. Because I guess they dated on the show, but then they dated in real life. Really? Our (laughs) doppelgangers. But get this, get this, because... I was trying to work out if somebody could do like when we're like, I guess when we're dying, all these people are going to be kind of dying too. But uh, if people were to do like, you know, a biopic of our life to the point we're at, these two could play us in like our 20s and then we'd get Johnny Depp and Amber Heard minus all that stuff that they're dealing with to play us at the ages now. Okay. But look at this. Look at that photo. That photo in particular has your old haircut. Like he has the exact same haircut you used to have. Well, yeah, I think uh, that might be a stretch. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm very flattered. But yeah, that, that woman definitely looks like you. I think he looks like you. Like if you took out the stash and the pandemic hair, I think in, I mean, I think you look more masculine, but. Okay, well, let's go uh, Zach Braff. <laughs> let's say Zach Braff at all times. We can also say Dak Shepard. Yeah. But well, if you took Zach or Dax with his hair. Okay. <laughs> I'm down. Although I do think Zach has similar hair. And wait, wait. Everybody on TikTok is saying you look like somebody. Oh, I look like this other YouTuber for sure. Yeah. yeah. He wears a hat too. Like, yeah. He wears a hat backwards. Typically, he's got a little mustache. Same face. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I forget his name though. And then Johnny Depp could play like old you. Yeah. Let's just stop with the Johnny Depp comparisons <laughs> right now. Young Johnny was good. Okay, next question. Why do kids seem to be going through puberty earlier than before? Is that true? Well, I wasn't sure. So I looked it up. I was on Psychology Today and WebMD. I was looking through a few different studies. So on average, well, you take a guess. Like, when do you think guys go through puberty? 15. Okay, so that's like – so it's 11 to 12 in boys. What? It starts. That's like the beginning. (laughs) I was like 19. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. I was reading another article and it said that I didn't actually include this in my answer. But since you bring it up in the uh, 1700s and 1800s, girls and boys were going through puberty much later, like between 16 and 18. But that was because they had poor diets and they were malnourished. Oh, okay. And that was they, my problem. they didn't have good living conditions. So it set off puberty, like it pushed it down. Oh, that's what I did to myself. Yeah. Because I was having like six Coca-Colas a day. Yeah, that's Domino's every other night. 
<laughs> so anyway, so on average, puberty in girls begins around 10 or 11 years old and 11 and 12 years old in boys. Uh, and then it ends at about 15 to 17 years old. So here's the thing too. Puberty may have started earlier in you, but the the big effect, like the voice changing and all that uh, may have not happened until you were like 15 to 17, which is the ending of it, right? So for girls, that ends with like puberty starts with, I guess, your boobs developing and ends with you actually getting your period. For guys, I'm not exactly sure what's the beginning. <laughs> I just end? like hearing boobs developing. Just <laughs> Very <sound>. scientific. <laughs> well, first your knockers are going to start to grow. Your this knockers is, blossom. <laughs> teacher Alex. But uh, anyhow, so girls are entering puberty about a year earlier than they did in the 70s. All right. And this is because like they're, they haven't pinned it down to one particular thing or another. I know what it is. What? Marijuana. <laughs> no. But uh, it's it's they're thinking that it's, you know, a, several factors kind of combined. So one is a higher BMI. So a body mass index that's associated with the onset of menstruation and earlier breast gland development. So breast glands is what I was looking for earlier when I said boobs. And so that could play a part. As well as <laughs> Pam Anderson has massive <laughs> breast glands. As well as that, is it endocrine or endocrine, endocrine disrupting chemicals in the environment uh, that also might influence the age of puberty? Endocrine. Wait, wait, should point en- to it. Endocrine, like I don't know that one. Like there's like endocrinologists too. Yeah, it starts with an E. Yeah. Anyhow, so <laughs> <laughs> my these, contribution, but these. Ed- endocrine for lack of a better pronunciation disrupting chemicals in the environment might also contribute and studies have shown like uh chemicals such as dde and ddt might be the ones that are associated with early earlier puberty however if you have a child who is around that age and they have the onset of puberty happening earlier than the average so i think it's like age what age eight girls age nine and boys where they are starting to develop you know, um, then you should get them seen by a pediatrician because it can be not always, but it can sometimes lead to something like diabetes or whatnot. So, so it's boob glands in women, and is it dick glands in boys? I don't know what dick glands are, <laughs> but dick um, glands. <clears throat> what are the glands? The the testes? Oh, I don't know. I was just joking. I just wanted to say dick. <laughs> <laughs> what is it the medulla that uh oh, doesn't pituitary gland no th- well oh. that's elsewhere but the medulla that's the thing that doesn't medulla develop blood until blood. you're like 25 medulla magamla yeah yours is still developing it is or the prefrontal cortex okay getting all our scientific body parts yeah. mixed up here it's been a long day guys it's been a long week next question what death of a famous person upset you most i'll go first Bowie, David Bowie, super sad. He was a beautiful artist, and I wish that he was uh, around longer to continue creating. But what about you? Steve Irwin really upset mm. me. That one, I think it was the night I did absinthe for the first time, like the fake absinthe. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't believe the real absinthe was legal yet, but we were just about to do it. And I think we went to Boston Pizza beforehand, but just that news was so... Sh- like shocking because mm-hmm. he was such a nice guy yeah and he seemed like just like all he was was good mm-hmm. 
And just to lose somebody like that, it was just like, wow, one of the like really good people on earth is gone. But his daughter seems to be carrying on the torch. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 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 No, that was a sad one. Actually, that is a fight I got into with an ex-boyfriend about Steve Irwin's death. And I think about that frequently. Conspiracy theory? No, no. I, there was a joke and I laughed at it. Oh. About Steve Irwin dying. So you're on the wrong side of this. No, well, it had been like a year after, right? And, um... It was on South Park and it was like a whole skit about it. And I was laughing at it and he was like, you think that's funny? And the I boyfriend said, was like- yeah. And I said, I guess I do despite myself. And, and I thought uh, we had frivolous arguments <laughs> 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 laughing at you think South Park is funny. One of the universally <laughs> acclaimed shows. Anyhow, I uh, yeah, horribly sad. I, and I you're not Steve. with this guy anymore, obviously. No, last time I checked, no. Okay, next question. Shane, Mm. at what age did you get your first tattoo? And would you be okay with it if your girls got them when they were older? Yeah, I'd I'd have to be okay with it. I mean, both mom and dad are kind of uh, inked up. If if you didn't know, Alex (laughs) has a tiny one. Just a tiny one. It's not that tiny. It's tiny. I don't even see it. It's right down your spine, though. Yeah, it's not like down my spine. It's like it's like two inches long. Okay. But I got my first tattoo when I was 20, and it was when I went to California. And like most people, when they get their first tattoo, you got it. I got it in a place that wasn't seen when you're wearing like a, mm-hmm. a T-shirt. So I got it just on the I shoulder guess, blade shoulder blade on my back, and it was the California bear. <laughs> like, so it's just this little thing. It's probably like basically falling off my back. But uh, yeah, if you if you know the band Rooney, I don't know how old you are, but Jason Schwartzman's brothers in a band called Rooney, Robert Schwartzman. And uh, that was the the symbol of their band, too. And I was really into it at the time. I loved the idea of living in California one day and living <laughs> the dream with the nice weather and just being in the ocean every day. That never happened, but I do have the tattoo still. So do you have rules in your head about what age you'd be okay with for the girls? I think whatever age is legal, I would definitely talk to them and say, hey, maybe like I have a lot of tattoos and some of them I'm not so into right now. I've had to cover up tattoos. I'm hoping at the moment I'm talking to them, I will have covered up <laughs> some tattoos. I have an onk on my arm and this is a symbol I got for no other reason than my sister told me she wanted us to have matching tattoos. I agreed to it. Little did I know she she got it the size of a raisin and mine is the size of an it's like, apple. It's bigger than Betty's hand. Yes. So I need to get this covered up. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll get an onk the size of a raisin also later just to keep the agreement. But this tattoo is so not me. And I need to just tell the girls like, listen, I want these roses here on my arm. These did not turn out the way I wanted to. But I was ang- I was uh, not anxious. I was really excited to get the tattoo done and I couldn't wait. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe that is the definition of anxious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was anxious to get it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I need it now. So although I couldn't get the roses I wanted, um, I ended up getting a tattoo and now I kind of wish I w- had waited. Here's the thing. I actually quite like the roses. Yeah. People say that, but yeah, there's definitely a couple that I wish I thought through a little bit more. I have the word swindle on my chest. That was now, this the funniest thing, Shane, when we were on our first date and I saw that little tattoo and I was like, what is swindle? Like, are you a pirate? Like, you think you're a pirate? Like, what is this? I don't know. I'm just such... It's so piratey. I, well, what it was, was I was getting my hair cut in a, a fancy place in Toronto. <laughs> swindle. 
And then I was looking at a magazine and this cool looking guy had the word swindle on his hand. And I was like, oh, he's cool. <laughs> and then, then I got it. And here's the worst part. It's in Comic Sans font. It's not. Look at it. Wait, where is it? I thought it was in a cursive for some reason. It, it's a- it doesn't look like Comic Sans. Well, it's basically Comic Sans. If you look at Comic Sans Swindle <laughs> and it's in like a half circular shape, mm-hmm. it's a bad one. So there's, yeah, I, I'll, I'll give them the talk. They can make their own decision. I, you know, do anything you want. But because yeah. I don't think tattoos are the hugest deal. Like all my friends say after a while, like it's like they don't even see them on me. It's mm-hmm. just like just Shane. Yeah, no, it's a part of you. And I mean, they're not waking up face to face with Michael J. Fox's Teen Wolf every morning, but you know, it is just like, a part of you. <laughs> I have I have Michael J. Fox a big uh, one a portrait of him on my arm and it's from the cover of the movie Teen Wolf. Like Shane's entire shoulder. But do you not like that? No, I do. It's funny. I wake up every morning and I laugh. Oh. But <laughs> no, you don't think it's cool. No, I like it. I like it. It's a good one and it's actually a very well done portrait. Yeah. And I there's like I'd say 98% of the portraits I've ever seen in my life are terribly done. That's like incredibly well done. Yeah, this one I actually put a lot of thought into. I went to several artists. I had to make sure it looked exactly like Michael J. Fox. And I'm told Michael J. Fox has actually seen this tattoo. Really? Yes. How? Because they put this tattoo on their website and the tattoo artist, it was a woman, her boyfriend was an actor and they shared the same agent. Oh, wow. I I gotta say, you're probably one of the... Few or the only person in the world to have a Michael J. Fox portrait. No way. Michael J. Really? Fox is so beloved. Let's just do a quick Google search here to see if we can find any. All I keep, I put in Michael J. Fox tattoo and I just get Michael J. Fox's first tattoo when he was 57. Look at all these. Oh, there's no, so it's, many it's Michael not a bird. J. Fox. It's, it's a sea turtle. Look, look. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's tons. He was in Back to the Future, and all, a lot of these ones are Back to the Future. And you know what? They're all really good portraits. How come portrait artists are really good at doing? Look, that's Holy that's moly. another Teen Wolf one. This one's cool. Look, look at, that one's him in full wolf mode. That's look at this one. Yeah, I think that one's from. Like these are just really well done. Yeah. So obviously, I'm not the first. Won't be the last. He's in one of the most iconic movies ever made. Color me impressed. And Family Ties, obviously, which was a great sitcom, which I'm hoping you know what that is. Family Ties. Well, only from you talking about it, but I've never seen it. I don't know sitcoms, babe. We know this. Like, this isn't, you know? Okay. It's not my thing. I don't know that. What else we got here? All right. Next question. I just started watching Seinfeld. What's your favorite episode? So the first ones that come to mind... Because there's, there's like 10 that I'd say I could volley between saying they're my favorites. But the contest. Yes. Where the friend group, you know, they have a contest see who can go the longest without pleasuring themselves. And then uh, the opposite where it's like it's like a George episode, but it's like George is kind of like turning into Elaine, like he's doing things right and he keeps ending up on top and then Elaine keeps making mistakes and she's like slowly turning into George. And then Jerry's just even Steven the whole episode. And it's just so funny. Like, I think it's so funny. But both of those are, are the first two that pop up in my brain. For me, I've seen the episode so much. Seinfeld almost just feels like one long episode because yeah. I've watched them on repeat. It's my favorite sitcom. But there's, yeah, the, what's the episode where Kramer, he's starting to look like an old catcher's mitt because oh he, he's been smoking cigars. 
And it's just like in his house. He's been like a hot boxing yeah. his apartment. Okay, so right now, whoever asked this question, you have to look up the compilation of outtakes from Seinfeld. And there's just Jerry trying to keep a straight face as Kramer's <laughs> going through this scene. And it took them like 30 takes. And uh, Michael Richards, who's such a professional and in real life is actually kind of a serious guy. He was getting mad at Jerry and Elaine for laughing. And every time they break, he's like, oh, guys, come on. But he's legitimately upset. And they just can't help it because he's so gifted at being a physical comedian. But yeah, so I, I don't I don't know. And if I said something, it would just be like saying the classic mm -hmm. episodes, like the contest comes to mind so easily mm -hmm. because it is such a famous episode. But I don't actually know. Like, give me a good oh, the crazy Joe Davolo episode is really funny too, where he's yes, Pagliacci. Great. It's great. And good, good. There's good putty episodes. Yes, like <laughs> they're all good. Any episode they're with all putty good. is hilarious. Yeah, maybe the first season's weird. Certainly the pilot episode, it, it it's like this isn't the Seinfeld I know and love. And when Larry David leaves for seasons eight and nine. The show gets a little gimmicky, and I know you love those seasons. No, I, it's still all good. They have classic episodes still within those seasons, but it's not like The Pocket, which yeah. is, you know. What, six and seven, five, six, three seven. Three to seven yeah. are just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What else no, we got? That's, that's great, and I'm excited. And if you're getting into Seinfeld right now for the first time, when you're done, give Curb Your Enthusiasm a watch, because that is... It's just so freaking funny. It's took so me, funny. It took me years to try it. And I thought I wouldn't like it because the camera work was so shoddy and it was such a departure from Seinfeld mm -hmm. the way it looked and felt. And then I, I loved it. I, I almost thought I liked it more than Seinfeld, but it just had like recency bias. Mm -hmm. But definitely, I'd say they're very close. All right. Next question. How do you maintain friendships when you're the first in your group to have a baby? So that that can obviously be very hard because, you know, you're going through such a phase of transition where it's like not even for your friends realizing that your life is changing. But for you, it's like you as a person, I, mean, I could speak for myself, like I didn't realize all the facets of my life that would change and all things that would become more difficult because of having a baby. I wouldn't realize that I wouldn't care sometimes that I couldn't go out or be included because of the baby. But then at the same time, like I still want to be included. I still want to be asked and I still want to be able to say no without anybody getting mad at me, you know, if there's a thing going on. But it can obviously be tricky because, um, you know, you're kind of learning how to tend to the needs of your baby and your friends and yourself and your partner. So you have a lot on your plate. But if you're trying to work it out with your friends and maintain your friendships, open communication, make sure they know and explain to them as best as you can that you need to plan in advance. If you want to be included, you need to plan in advance. And even if they think you're not going to go to something, it means so much just to get the invite and to be included in the conversation like you're a part of it, like you're a part of everything. And you know what I mean? So know that not hanging out all the time is okay. Like both parties need to know that. Everybody needs to appreciate the differences in everybody's lives, whether you're without kids and like on the town, whether you're sitting at home with poopy diapers and everybody needs to be flexible and understanding. And ultimately, if you have friendships that don't survive this transitional phase, like that might happen. But, you know, the ones that do, I think they're just going to be more, they're going to they're gonna be deeper and mm -hmm. you're going to have more of a connection. I look at friendships as like, it's like everyone's in a room napping 
and everyone's mm-hmm. on a different nap schedule. <laughs> so sometimes you're going to be just out while everyone else is up. You're just going to be eyed your little life nap, which is when you have a kid, you're kind of like, hey, I'm out for this period. Mm-hmm. And then you come back and then your other friend nap that he's having a kid or whatever. They go on a work trip for a couple of years. Like we had a friend who used to go like Julian. Mm-hmm. He used to go away for a year. Oh, and wow. it was just like everything when he came back, it was like nothing changed. Yeah. And those years when he was gone, it was like you don't even remember. Mm-hmm. And that's what having children's like. It's just, you know, you're go- you're going to wake up again. And then there's going to be 10 years from now, everyone's going to be woken up and we're going to rekindle it. And true friendships are like that. You can yeah. go a long time without even saying hi to them. But then when you are with them. It's like you picked up right where you left off. Like you were saying, if it doesn't pick up and if you lose that friend, maybe they weren't a great friend. friend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like um, I have a friend. She moved to Ottawa a year ago and I mean, it's the pandemic anyway. But her and I have, I think, spoken three times throughout the past year, three solitary times. She was in the city the other day and asked me to a uh, distance game of tennis. And we played tennis like three Imagine times in a week. she didn't want it distance though. She's like, we're playing tennis, <laughs> yeah. but it's going to be really close. Not within six. <laughs> it's going to be three feet apart. No, but it was just it was drilling just, it at you. Here's the thing. We, we don't talk about not talking. We don't talk about how long it's been since we've seen each other. We only talk about the things that, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's so easy and it's so nice. And I love that about adult friendships um, that are understanding. But Shana, baby, that's all we got. Ooh, Alex, baby. Good, good job today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Good job for making it through the whole episode. I mean, these are long podcasts, and we really do appreciate you listening. So if you are this far, I mean, you've made it this far, you might as well give us a five-star rating. Clearly, you must have liked something. Mm -hmm. And if you leave a comment, we're going to even like you more for it. But regardless, we do appreciate you being here, and just thank you so much for listening to This This Family Family Tree Tree Podcast. Podcast. Episode 89.